This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and now the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. This is our Championships Edition. Now, for those who have been following us with the AFLW Draft Insight Series, we've had over the past two weeks the look at the Victorians. The non-Victorians we're going to look at in next week's episode leading into the draft on October 22nd. So again, AFLW Draft Insight non-Victorians will be next week. This week, we are focused Focusing on the AFL European Championships, which is kicking off Wednesday, October 9th, London time, and then kicking off uh, late Friday, October 11th in Florida, is the United States Australian Football League National Championships. That's the two tournaments we're focusing on this week, and we're going to begin by having a look at the AFL European Championships. On the women's side, there's three teams this year. Three years ago at the last tournament, there was the GB Swans, Irish Banshees and European Crusaders. This time, no more Crusaders. They are replaced by the German Eagles. So Great Britain, Ireland and Germany are playing in the tournament over three to four days in London, running from the Wednesday through to the Saturday. And we're going to begin, first of all, by chatting with the GB Swans, who are the reigning champions and host nation, followed up by the Irish Banshees and then the new team, the German Eagles. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival as we look forward to the AFL European Championships being played in London. It's great to have on the line one of the players from the hosts, the GB Swans, in Vicky Jones. Vicky, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How's it all going? I'm not too bad, but I should ask, are you still in party mode after the North London Lions captured the London Women's Premiership? <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, that was awesome. That was great win uh, with the Lions. So, uh, yeah, just straight back onto it, really, with the GB. So, no party, really. So, uh, looking to get the celebration after Euros. Well, let's talk about that. It was roughly mid-August that the grand final was played in the London Women's League, and it's a two-month window between that and the AFL European Championship. So, what's been happening for the Swans players in that two-month window? Yeah, well, we had um, kind of like the outside of London league, so the last round of that kind of like round robin uh, with Nottingham Scorpions also taking the win on that one. So going through to Champions League, so had one game of that. And then um, we had a a two-day training camp last weekend down in London. So that was decent um, in and around where the competition is going to be played. So uh, that was good to get all the girls together and um, get some practice in it. It's interesting you say about trying to get the girls together because it's again it's not like the England Vixens where it is uh, in the uh, nine side Euro Cup. This is the uh, Great Britain squad, predominantly from English players. But you've got a number that came out of the University League. You've got a couple that yep. have come out of Wales, and then to add to the mix, you've got one player of Scotland this year in Laura Park, and then to put a further quirk on it, you've got Raffy Jones who was playing in Bulleen in Australia, and you've got Eleanor Moss who was playing for the Vancouver Vixens over in British Columbia. Columbia, Canada. Yeah, no, we've had uh, some good travelling. Yeah, no, speed up in Scotland's normally the furthest one to travel. But yeah, I think Raffy wins on the air miles this time. But yeah, Raffy's over in the UK for a month, um, exploring the UK and seeing some family that she's got over here. So it's obviously tied in really well. I think uh, um, Ellie Moss is on the plane as we speak. 
so uh so yeah so we've got everyone coming together and we've been meeting in london uh seems to be like the central spot the easiest place for everybody to get to so now it's been good how important has it been for particularly the girls that do play in the london league to have that 18 aside experience coming into the european championships up against the irish but let's be honest as much as they've got that gaelic background they've very seldom play anything 16 or 18 aside and the Germans who at best probably play 12 or 14 aside. Yeah, no, it's a massive opportunity. Like, I've been involved in the London League for a couple of seasons now. Um, but no, it's brilliant playing against Aussies. So who like live, breathe, eat everything about Aussie rules. So it's great to be a bit, be around them all. Uh, but obviously like the standard, you know, arguably the best league in Europe for 18 aside, uh, you know, men's and women's teams all coming together. So it's a great atmosphere, but the standard's brilliant. Um, it was a bit of a tough final this year, but no, it was great. Uh, it's a great league to be part of. And we're very, very lucky and fortunate to have that. Um, and hopefully that will give us the edge this year on, uh, on Ireland and uh, Germany. Let's talk about um, the change in squads since the 2016 European Championships when you beat Ireland and then the 2017 International Cup. Um, the notable outs that I see, obviously, are the Turner Ramadans, and congratulations. Uh, they've just given birth to, uh, is it uh, Layla Ann? So well done That's to right, Renia yeah. and Laura. Uh, because of the baby duties, uh, they've, they've stepped down from playing. Danny Salter has um, retired from playing international football as well. That's three very good players that you were without. Yeah, it is. Uh, obviously, massive shout out to Laura and Rania. Obviously, that news gave a massive boost for us in the camp. So, put it on our WhatsApp group and everyone was over the moon of the arrival of of the baby. Um, and yeah, we've uh, yeah, Danny uh, taking a backseat as well. We've got some like really exciting players that have come in. So, like, obviously, we talked about Rafi Jones already coming in from Australia. That's had, had a massive boost. And there are some, you know, some real big, uh, some good characters coming through, um, taking up into those roles. So um, I think as, even though we've, uh, you know, it's a bit of a change, there's some girls really stepping up at the moment. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's the last time we'll be seeing uh, Laura and Rania. I think uh, we'll be seeing them soon, uh, in a few months' time, maybe. And Charlie Eels has been given the honour of the captaincy for the tournament. Yeah, it has. Yeah, Charlie's a great player, been around the sport for a very long time. I think she even founded the GB Swans. So, you know, it's great to have her as a captain and brings uh, some great leadership from the front. So, and she always gets stuck in. So, you know, it's great to have Charlie as our captain and leading us out for this competition. Out of the rookies coming into the squad, who's really impressed you through the uh, recent training camp and obviously playing in either the London or University Leagues? Yeah, so like in um, the training camp a few weekends ago for uh, Louisa Smith from the London Swans, really stood out. So she's playing in our forward line, but really, really good, solid hands um, and really accurate set, uh, set shots as well. So I think she's going to give us a real big depth and hopefully put some uh, good good goals on. Um, and then you've got <clears throat> like um, definitely like Kate Franklin in the backs, for a long shot, she's great nuisance on the pitch. So really, really good in defence. So like those two probably st stood out for me in the last uh, training camp. But there's loads of girls that, are, you know, be here all day for mentioning everybody. But yeah, we've really, really improved, I think, over the last few years. So with uh, a lot of new girls as well. Well, let's talk about the opposition that you're up against. First of all, we'll start on the newbies being the German Eagles, which uh, some of you would have had the chance to have a look at um, through the Nine Aside uh, Euro Cup tournament in Sweden. Uh, what did you learn from watching back any of the video and their type of play that you believe that they might be bringing to 18 Aside that you'll need to combat? 
Yeah, so we played them in the semi-finals. I played for England uh, in the Euro Cup and played them in the semi-finals, and they've massively improved, like hugely, since the last Euro Cup and since Champions League when we played the Hamburg Dockers. Um, they've got some really tall, quick, powerful uh, players. So really, really, you know, they can jump massively high. Um, you know, really, really aggressive as well. So I love getting stuck in. Um, so they've just massively improved. If they keep improving like they have done in the one year, then yeah, they're definitely going to be a massive competition to us. Um, real big, tough competitions. We're definitely not underestimating the Germans. And then there's your old foes, the Irish Banshees, <laughs> who you beat for the European Championship in 2016. There's a bit of history going back to IC 2017 where they got you in the semi-final. May I say in dubious circumstances, that mark, <laughs> I don't know. But um, from what I understand from our interviews with them, they've only got one player from that IC 17 side playing in the European Championship. How tough is that to come up against such an unfamiliar Banshees team? I think, uh, yeah, playing uh, against Ireland in, uh, again, like the West Clare Waves and uh, playing them in the Euro Cup on the Niners side field, they have got massive depth and we can't really underestimate them, even if they've only got one player. I haven't seen the uh, team sheet, but uh, they've got a huge, huge depth um, in with obviously Gaelic being so transferable and obviously the, the girls that want to get involved in the sport as well in the first place. So... Um, I definitely don't think they're going to be something that we can underestimate them. And, yeah, they've got massive depth that they can pull on uh, who they're going to bring into the squad. So, yeah, it's always an interesting game against Ireland. So we'll have to see who turns up. Uh, from our understanding, they're going to have uh, four AFL rookie contracted players playing for them in London for the European Championships. Do you raise that at all within the squad, not only for the for the simple tactic of, OK, we've got to stop this player, but do you use it as motivation for some of your players to make a name for yourself, stop this player, and say you stopped an AFLW contracted player? Oh, massively. I think it's brilliant for the sport. It's only going to increase the level that we're playing at. So I'm all for it. Brilliant. Bring them on. Um, so, no, and it's great. And obviously, it's good to see uh, some of the players getting contracted outside of Australia. Um, so, no, that's good to see. And hopefully some of the, the British girls can be following in uh, following in soon. But, yeah, it's always a tough one. And, um, yeah, we'll have to see what happens on the day, really, and see what the conditions are like and see what's going on. But their first game out for us, so that 9 o'clock game on the, on the Wednesday. I think, yeah. It's going to be a tough one, really. But we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, besides the obvious fact that you do have home ground advantage, what else do you think needs to go right for you in the championships? Oh, because it's over many days, so it's not just a simple we play it on one day and the better team on the day. You play it over a number of days. What needs to go right to ensure you retain the title? Uh, I think recovery is going to be a big one for us. Um, so, like, not many of the players would have played over, you know, a week's competition. Um, getting the recovery in um, and making sure hopefully uh, we won't get distracted by uh, London as a city and wanting to go and explore like we have done in previous competitions. Um, so getting that recovery in, we've got, I think we've got a good team of physios with us as well. So as long as we can get the recovery in, learn from what we've done in the previous games, move forward, I think the competition is wide open. And what has uh, Ian Mitchell brought to the side since he's now taken over the reins as coach for the GB Swans? Oh, massively. Uh, Mitch is a, you know, he knows the game inside out and he absolutely loves it. So um, just the way that he coaches everybody and gets involved, like you can pretty much call him at any time and uh, he's more than happy to speak to you about what you need to do, what you need to improve on. Keeping like 
constant um, kind of conversations going throughout the whole of the year is a big point. Um, but then working on what we need to do. So obviously he was around for IC, knows what we did and what we need to improve on. And those were set out at the beginning of the campaign. So uh, no, he's a massive asset to us. Well, Vicky, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the GB Swans all the very best in the defence of your European title. Thank you very much. It's great to have on the line the captain of the Irish Banshees in Mella Murray. Mella, how are you? I'm very good, Peter. Thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. But how are the nerves you start to count down the days now to this European Championship? Yeah, we're very excited. The nerves, yeah, I'm starting to feel it. It's come, it's crept up really, really quickly. Um, you know, it's only a week away from the competition now, but um, really looking forward to it and can't wait to get over there. Of course, last time we spoke to you was heading into the Euro Cup and you managed to come away with that in the Niner tournament. So post-Euro Cup, what's the build-up been like for the Banshee squad getting together to start practising that 18-a-side football? Yeah, um, uh, we had a break. We finished our first Super 7s after uh, the Europeans um, in Sweden and we took a break over the summer and got back um, playing our Premiership. Um, we've, we're into our, we've played our third round last weekend of the Premiership. Um, we've seen a lot of new players and um, a new team join up. Um, so it's, it's been exciting and it's, it's good to see some new faces. And what's the squad like being building up to this tournament? Obviously, it's been three years since the last European Championships and two years since the International Cup. It's not really fair to compare against the International Cup side because there's a number of Australian-based Irish women that play in that side. Um, as, yeah. As opposed to, obviously, the European Championships where it's predominantly uh, Ireland-based, except for one or two in London. How much has the side changed compared to the last tournament in 2016? It has changed a lot. In fact, we've only got one player from the International Cup in 2017, um, that being Marie Keating. Um, she's the only Irish banshee that has played actually a full 18 side previously. Um, all the other players will be making their 18 side international debut over in London next week. So, um, it's new for us. We've been playing in Ireland here in our league. We've been playing, we've had our Super 7s and then the Premiership, we've tried to increase the numbers. So um, we've managed to play games 8 aside, 9 aside. So 18 aside is going to be very new to everybody. I guess the one thing that you're lucky about this tournament, it does go over several days. So if you do drop a game early while trying to get used to the format, there is time to pick up the slack. Absolutely, yeah. We've um, it's a different structure. It's we've two games on next Wednesday and then two games on Thursday. So um, you know we can we can learn from each game. We'll build from each game. Um, so it's it's great learning experience for us. Let's talk about the squad that you've been uh, building up. Uh, I'm imagining the West Clare Waves have been forming the backbone of the side. Yes, we've quite a number of waves. 
Um, I would say, I'm not sure the exact number, but we probably have, we're well represented, probably I'd say 10 players from all West Care Waves coming over to London. Um, they, are, they are definitely the strongest team here in Ireland. They've um, been very, very successful in the Premiership and the Super 7s. Um, and they're top of the ladder at the moment in our Premiership. Um, so, yeah, we have, we have a good representation from uh, West Care Waves. And what's been the representation like from some of the newer sides, for example, such as uh, West Dublin Garrisons, Cork Vikings, etc.? Yeah, we were represented in all the, the clubs, actually, that are nearly all the clubs are represented going over to London. We have the West Clare Waves, Cork Vikings, the new team Kildare Sharks, which I'm involved with, uh, West um, Dublin Garrisons, Dublin Angels, we've got the Liffey Blues, um, South Dublin Swans, North Leinster Giants. And then we also have um, some girls coming through from the universities. We have um, seven players have been selected from the Irish University squad. Um, and they're coming from the universities, um, AIT, uh, UCD, DCU, Carlo and Trinity. That must give you some confidence having those university players in the side, such a large amount of them being seven, because um, they've played a little bit more of 18-a-side football, particularly against the National Universities League from Great Britain, who took them on earlier in the year and had a very That's big right. victory. Yeah, they, they're a very successful day against uh, Great Britain. Um, we have seven players, as I said, so at least they have some experience of the 18-a-side. They know what to expect, so... Um, and they, they they know the structure, so at least with that little bit of experience coming in, even though they are the younger players. And I guess one of the key questions should be: uh, are any of the AFLW rookie contracted players playing in this game, or is it essentially all those that are still trying to earn a spot? Um, no, we have four AFLW players coming over. Um, some of them have actually. Yeah, I think some of them have been playing in the Premiership. Um, the likes of, um, uh, sorry, Anya, Anya Tig, that's going to Fremantle Dockers. She's played um, in the three rounds of the Premiership and um, played with the West Clare Waves. So she's flying it at the moment, um, really adapting to the game. Her skills are really coming on. Um, so we're really excited to be playing with her rather than against her and normally play uh, against her in the Premiership. So that's going to be exciting to see those girls. Um, if, you know, it'll, it'll bring a lot of uh, excitement to the game. And from yourself, from your point of view, Mella, from the, the Super 7s and uh, Premiership games that you've played in Ireland, who's really been hitting form at the right time that you're excited to see how they go in 18-a-side football uh, in London? Um... So there is, well, one of the girls, as I just mentioned, Anya Tigers, is, is hitting form and doing really, really well. Um, we have the likes of Murray Coyne, um, who plays West, West Clare Wade. She's playing well again and um, doing, doing really well. And then Sinead Comerford from West Dublin Garrisons has played in the Super 7s and the Premiership. She's also a, a strong player um, and I think she, she'll do well over in London also. Let's talk about your opponents uh, coming into the European Championships. We'll first of all start with the newbies, being the German Eagles. You would have had a chance to see them up close in the nine-a-side tournament. They'll be making their 18-a-side debut um, in London. Um, what have you learned about the German style of football that you're probably going to expect and face uh, coming for the tournament? Well, yeah, um, we played against them in Sweden and they were a tough physical side. 
Um, and they grew throughout the day. Um, they really improved throughout the competition. Um, you know, they were they finished third. They got the bronze medal. Um, so I think you know they were learning throughout the competition. And I really do expect they've been in training camps and that, and they've had um, their 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 league has been very successful over there in Germany. So I'm expecting a few surprises from them. Actually, I think they'll be very organised and they'll have a good structure. A lot of um, a lot of plans in place for each, for, for, for Great Britain and ourselves. And what are you expecting out of the GB Swans? It's a very different side. They'll be missing a couple of their uh, veterans from uh, the 2016 campaign that did beat the uh, Irish Banshees for the title. Um, if I look at the two sides, obviously picking up off the Gaelic background for the Banshee sides, you like to run and spread with the football. The GB mm-hmm. type of game, again, is physical, but they like to use their tools. Yeah, yeah. Again, well, they are, well, they, I suppose they have an advantage. You know, they have um, a lot of experience of 18 a side. So that they do have an advantage over us um, being the only, you know, they play 18 side league. Um, they have a lot of, I've been reading, they've been doing a lot of um, training camps as well. And they've, they've a lot of strength and talent across the board. And, you know, they have a pick from from England, Wales and Scotland, you know, they've also had their universities and um, competitions. Um, so I think, you know, they they will be, again, organised and structured. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we won't take anything for granted. We'll, we'll expect uh, tough games from them as well. You got to hold up the Euro Cup title uh, back in Sweden uh, just a handful of months ago, but what would it mean to you personally to be able to do the double and hold up the cup again uh, this weekend in London for the uh, European Championship? Uh, it, it would be great. You know, it would be a, a huge honour to hopefully hold up the 18 aside uh, trophy as well. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it would be fantastic and, you know, hope we, we'll work hard anyway. Um, we'll take each game as it comes and we'll back ourselves and um, hopefully we'll, we'll first of all hopefully get to the grand final on Saturday and, and give ourselves every chance to, to have a go at winning that cup Well Mella thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival we wish you and the Irish Banshees all the very best in the AFL European Championship this weekend in London Super thanks a million Peter and now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, an interview with people who aren't exactly where they should be. Of course, we're bringing you the program today from Toronto, Canada, instead of Melbourne, and we're chatting to someone who's representing Germany but is currently in Greece. Let's see if you can figure that one out. We've got on the line joining us, representing the German Eagles, Denise Heckman. Denise, how are you? Hi, great. How are you? Not too bad at all. Now, I need to figure something out here for a moment. If I'm correct, yeah. you're representing Germany, you're currently in Greece, but you're recently playing football in Melbourne. Exactly right. <laughs> so I live in Australia, um, but I'm currently on a holiday in Europe. And yeah, this is my last day in Greece before I go back to Germany where it's a bit colder um, and then get ready to go to London next week. Now, before we talk about the European Championships and how you got selected to play for the German Eagles, um, yourself, uh, before finding football, what was your sporting background? Um, So I played soccer since I was four, um, and I also played European handball for a long time. And I started, and then they switched codes um, three years ago. I played footy. 
And what led you? And to, I never looked back from that. And what led you to find and discover and want to apply Aussie rules? Um, so I've actually lived in Australia already for six years, and I loved watching it. Uh, but it looked a bit painful to me, to be honest. I thought it looked like it would hurt a lot. Um, so I wasn't very attracted to playing myself. And then at work, so I'm in a at a research institute, and once a year we're playing a research and um, footy cup, and I got talked into. Um, playing in that um, tournament and I was like okay I'll give it a go and the very first time of training I hurt my finger of course trying to catch a ball um, but I was just so in love with the game straight away and um, so I decided yeah I have to I have to play this and I found a, a women's club Melbourne Uni back then um, close to to my home um, yeah and since then I'm just, I just got hooked and I can't get enough of the sport now. Yes, Melbourne University, yeah. a, a massive club. If I'm correct, I think at one stage they even had as many as five teams there. Um, yeah, so when I was there, we had, there was four teams. So I started in the fourth team and then I worked myself up to the second. Um, so, yes, they have a VFL team and I think they are like the biggest and oldest club with Darabin probably in, in Australia. Uh, but so it was pretty cool. We could to see... Um, AFL girls and stuff, yeah. Particularly when it comes to uh, women's football. And, of course, now they are aligned with uh, North Melbourne in the uh, AFLW. So let's talk about um, your transition yes, to football. Exactly. We've heard it's very common that a lot of um, come across on the soccer background and, and able to use that positioning work. Uh, not too many from the handball background, even though Hannah Mouncey plays uh, handball. Uh, we know that, um, uh, of course, uh, Sarah mm-hmm. Hammond, who won a number of premierships at Darabin, actually represented Australia yeah. in handball at the 2000 Olympics. So yes. let's talk about... The yes. transition from handball to Aussie rules. Can you talk about some of the skill elements in that handball game and how well that helps you in yeah. playing Aussie rules? And um, I think the hand-eye coordination is quite good, and because it's a very physical sport, so you're not scared to fall to the ground to tackle someone. Even though in handball you can only tackle from the front, and obviously you can't drag anyone to the ground. But I wasn't. That is my favourite part of the game now, the tackling, and I feel like it comes natural to me maybe because of handball. Um, although when you, because you catch the ball differently, so you do hurt your fingers in the beginning if you um, use the same technique as you do in handball. So um, I needed to adjust that. But I think it helped me a bit with the physical side of it. Can you talk about what you found yeah. the most difficult um, skill to try and master when it came to Aussie rules? Yeah. Yes, kicking. It was the most frustrating skill. To, I've, I always say I've never learned anything as frustrating as kicking. It took me probably two years to be sort of happy with my technique, and I practiced a lot. So my poor boyfriend, he always had to go and practice with me, and I got quite um, frustrated doing that. Um, because in soccer, I feel like you it's a very different um, technique, and I sort of like kicked across my body and with the footy, Obviously, you, your body is straight, your hips are straight, everything is just straight. Um, and there's just so many elements to kicking. It's yeah, That was very, very hard to learn for me. Now, the and West... it's a 360-degrees game, so yeah. Absolutely. Sorry. Now, the West Brunswick Magpies, of course, play in the VAFA competition. Um, what led you to cross over from, like a number of players, yes. from Melbourne Uni to playing in the VAFA with West Brunswick? 
Um, so I, I did enjoy uh, Melbourne Uni, but I felt um, the community aspect of it. Um, I, I knew some people at West Brunswick, and they always um, told me how the community is is so special and amazing. So I thought, um, because at Melbourne Uni, you didn't really have the connection between all the teams. It was a bit more isolated. And also, because their priorities, obviously, their VFL team and um, there's something to it being in the highest team of a club, so I, I decided to try West Brunswick and I went to one training session and I said, yeah, this is my club. Um, I think everyone who goes there once will stay because the community is amazing and it's still very um, competitive. The teams are really strong and now we're playing in the highest league in the VEFA as well and we made it to the grand final this year as well. So we're both successful but we also have um, a lot of social events and um, yeah, it's just an amazing club to be to be in. It's very special. It's been a heck of a rise, hasn't it, for West Brunswick and the strength of their mm, two teams. Yeah. I, I think back to um, just a couple of years ago, 2017, where they had their first side. Their seconds was almost a scratch match team and I remember them actually playing against the USA Liberty and losing by about 100 points to the US uh. development side. <laughs> and, and then of course things have changed dramatically in just the space of two or three years. As you said, yeah. playing in the top flight. Uh, your reserves won the Premier this year and you were playing in the first who uh, made that rise from fourth to getting to the grand final. Exactly right. So, um, and it has a lot to do, I mean, we have a lot of talent in the club and we can retain talent because of the community that that the club offers. Um, But we're also so close that we we love fighting for each other and I think that stood out that even when we were down, we were, I mean, we were really the underdogs, especially going in the prelim where we played against Old Trinity who who were, um, who we lost to twice during the season. I don't think anyone and expected us to win, but we're just a very strong, um, we have a strong bond and we really fight hard for each other. And I think that's what um, brought us that far. And we should mention as well, there is an international flavour that runs through West Brunswick. Playing a handful of games, uh, albeit her season was interrupted through injury, was April Lewis, the American who, of course, yeah. was aligned with Essendon VFLW. And also you got French woman who we've interviewed a couple of times before, Colleen Decay. Yes, she, oh, she's amazing, yeah. She was really, really good in. She's um, a strong defender, running defender. She was she was brilliant. And April when she was around, but then she got the concussion in, in a game. Um, and it was a good thing. So we had a few VFL associated players, and um, so they couldn't train with us a lot. But I think that we were really welcoming when they were around for games. And... Um, had a good time with us as well. I just we, want... we even had players that then actually stayed with us rather than with their VFL club. And just quietly, you're no slouch yourself. You were named in the best five times throughout the season. Can you describe yourself as a footballer? I I think I'm very hard at the ball. So I'm a midfielder. I'm like an inside and, and outside uh, midfielder. So I feel my strength is probably my, my pace and my physicality. Um, yeah, and I work really hard. I think that's, um, yeah, that's probably most what I would consider my strength. So, as you said, you've been in Australia for six years. The AFL Germany women's competition has only been going for essentially two years now. So, yeah. how did the hookup happen with you being based in Melbourne, finding contact with the AFL Germany women's competition to yeah. be selected and be part of their squad, uh, the German Eagles, uh, in the AFL European Championships? Yeah, that was really good. Um, it was a really coincidence. So um, I trained with um, Darabin in the preseason with the VFL 
um, team. And now I feel really bad that I forgot um, his name. Troy Thompson. He's around in women's footy a lot. Yes, that's him. Sorry. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, I hope he does, but I'm sorry that I forgot his name. So he found out that I was German, and he pointed out to me that Germany now has a women's team. And then he got me in contact with Lisa Wilson, um, who's now for London. She's the team manager. And then she again gave me the contact details of Emily, the coach, who is also from Melbourne, so we could actually catch up. And she came to some of my training sessions before she flew over to Germany. And then that's how she could see me play. And then, um, yeah, she told me that, yeah, um, um, I would uh, I make the team. So, um, yeah, that was just yeah, a huge coincidence. I wouldn't have known about German uh, women's footy, to be honest. I knew that the men had a team, um, but I mean, last International Cup, there was only uh, um, the European Crusaders, and I don't think there was really any Germans in that team even. So, yeah, it was really big coincidence, but I was really excited because I had planned to come to Germany this time of the year anyway. Um, so it was just perfect. Um, everything was coming together perfectly. Now, we see it at the International Cup where, for example, with Ireland, they've got most of their players based in Ireland, but a handful based in Australia, so they've got to coordinate training and communication between the two sides. For yourself mm -hmm. and Emily, of, of course, as the coach being based in Melbourne, how, how do you communicate with the rest of the squad back in Germany? So, obviously, you get to know each other a little bit, so you know each other as soon as you arrive yeah. off the plane, but to get an understanding of who does what, who's going to fit into what role, what type of yeah. game plan you're trying to organise? Yes, I think it, Emily did so well with that, having a game plan that everyone can understand um, quite easily. But um, so we had, I hadn't met obviously anyone before coming to Germany, and then we had the training camp where I could meet about half of the team, and which was really important because then you can, I mean, you meet especially your midfielders, right, and the pe people that you have to work with a lot. Um, and other than that, I just had lots of conversations with Emily about um, all the different players and um, how we could work together. And as I said, she's, I find that she communicates her plan really well. And for me, it just makes a lot of sense. And she makes, we have obviously this Facebook group where everyone posts videos of their skills. And Emily makes lots of videos about um, how she wants us to play. And I, I feel like um, I, I couldn't imagine how it would work. I had no idea, but I think that she did a really good job um, bringing us all together um, in a short time. So, um, yeah. But I had no idea how German players would be, but um, then when I saw them at the training camp in Frankfurt, um, I was just blown away, to be honest, um, by their skills and I always say Germans, when we do something, we do it properly. And um, you could really tell that they were in like, some of them have played less than a year and the skills are already so strong. Um, so I'm really excited to see how we will go um, next week in uh, the tournament. From, from that training camp in Frankfurt, who were some of the players that stood out immediately as you, as to leaders that look like they're going to take this yes. side forward? Yes, of course, Jen um, English. Oh, she's with her judo background, her tackle. I mean, we were we were training with with the guys, and she took them down. Like, um, it was incredible to watch her physical strength. And then we have um, Marie, who's a really strong mark. So she's our centre forward. Um, really strong mark, really fit, um, great skills. 
um, Teresia as an excellent midfielder. But I, I don't know. We have all rucks I find uh, um, incredible. Um, so I think there's quite a few players that um, they'll have to watch out for, to be honest. And I think they could easily come to Australia and, and slot into VEFA team um, or, or even VFL, some of them. So... Um, yeah, I was really impressed. So, so you're generally impressed by that skill level, that it is that good, particularly when it comes to the handball and kick? Yeah. Yes. So they're, they're kicking. I, I was impressed because it took me definitely a lot longer than them uh, to pick it up. But also their physicality. Because tackling, some of it, I mean, to a lot of people it doesn't come natural, right? But their tackling was so strong. And I was really impressed. Uh, by by that as well because I thought we'd have to maybe practice not like easy tackling uh, techniques but when I saw them tackling I was like oh, okay they've they've got this. <laughs> and how do you compete with this tournament um, in the European Championships against your three team pool? You're against two other sides that play very different styles of football. Yeah. You've got on one side the GB Swans mm-hmm. who are more in close tough football congested Victorian style football going to the taller target. Mm-hmm. On the opposite side you've got the Irish Banshees who don't play 18 aside that often they actually play more 9 or 7 mm-hmm. aside but picking up off the Gaelic background they mm-hmm. like to run and spread. Um so I think what Emily her focus is more on developing our um style of footy and um and not focusing too much, not changing a lot when we play either of the teams, but more having a stud that would be effective for both, which will be based on being really disciplined with your positioning. Um, we also have a really fit team, so I'm not too worried about I know that the Irish girls, I mean, I love watching them in the AFLW, and their running carry is amazing. Um, but we also have a really fit and fast team, So, um, and if you position well, um, you should cut off their options on the outside. And at the same time, as I said, we're also really strong and physical team. So then with the English, I think we can keep up there as well. So I think we might be a chance um, winning um, a game or two, to be honest. And how much... <laughs> I've, obviously, I've never seen them in person, but yeah. And how much confidence do you bring into that tournament, knowing, I think, if I'm correct, a third-place finish for Germany in the nine-a-side tournament? How much is that a boost, knowing that, right, you yeah. generally are amongst the top three. You can go with both the uh, the Great Britain side yeah. and the Irish. Um, so, personally, I think that after seeing only half the team, um, I think that I, I'm really confident that we're able to, um, to win a game. I mean, as I said, I've never played... Against either of them. I've watched some footage, um, both of them. And yeah, I'm confident that we can uh, definitely compete there after seeing um, some of the girls. I think we have a really strong attack. I think that all over, we, we're pretty well set. Um, I'm very confident, to be honest. Yeah. And after the championships in October, the next thing on the card is IC 2020. The date and the venue is still to be confirmed. We're hearing possibly August in Ballarat is a possibility. Uh, the teams themselves haven't been confirmed, even though the structure we heard is it's going to be capped at eight teams. We know the GB Swans and the Irish will definitely be there. There is talk that the Germans will be there. What would it mean to you personally mm-hmm. to represent Germany at IC 2020 if that was to happen? Yes, uh, I, I mean... Um, I would be super excited. I think 
I, I, I'm pretty sure that we will be able to field a team if we get a spot um, because the girls are so committed and um, most of them have been to Australia and love the country. So um, I think that we would definitely make that happen. And I would be so proud. It would be such a special moment for me being in the country. I love a lot, obviously, Australia, but representing my home country that I'm obviously um, also um, have a strong connection to. It would be it would be super special. Yeah, I would love that. Well, Denise, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Germans all the very best at the AFL European Championships in London. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's our look at the AFL European Championships being played over the next three to four days in London. You can follow it all by going to the AFL Europe Facebook page. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to turn our focus, our attention, to the United States Australian Football League National Championships to be played this weekend in Florida. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks, because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Now we turn our attention to the United States Australian Football League National Championships to be held at the Premier Sports Complex in Lakewood Ranch, Florida. Uh, yours truly will be there calling for the Go Live Sportcast video stream, which you can find at usafl.com. Just look under the uh, 2019 National Championships page. Coming up, we're going to be speaking to a member of all six teams participating in Women's Division 1. That's the reigning champions, the San Francisco Iron Maidens, Seattle Grizzlies, Denver Lady Bulldogs, then followed by the Minnesota Freeze, the New York Magpies, and the Portland Sockeyes. Uh, we haven't had the time to catch up with those participating in Division 2. Brian Barish is going to cover that for us at the very end where we chat to him for his thoughts on the tournament, uh, simply because the teams have been very fluid and it won't be known to the last few days of what the actual combinations are for the teams taking part in Women's Division 2. But we're going to kick off by chatting with Carly Smolak, the coach of the San Francisco Iron Maidens, who are going for their fourth national title in a row. Lakewood Ranch, Florida is the venue for the 2019 United States Australian Football League National Championships to be held this weekend. The reigning champions going for their fourth Division I title win in a row are the San Francisco Iron Maidens. And they have a new coach, a former player in Carly Smolak, and she joins us on the line now. Carly, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. Now, we've called you many times as one of the star forwards or half forwards for the Iron Maiden. How does it feel now to be known as the coach of the side? Um, it's, it's a lot of fun, actually. Um, it's been surprisingly fun. Um, I, I, of course, uh, you know, miss playing, but um, 
San Francisco Iron Maidens. If we go back prior to the last time you went to Lakewood Ranch in Florida, which was when you won your first title in 2016, prior to that, I don't think you'd even scored a goal or maybe scored one goal as a team at national championships. And since you were there last time, you've now gone on a run of three and you're about to attempt your fourth Division One title in a row. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been quite a ride since, you know, my first year joining. I played, um, I think it was a total of five seasons. Uh, with the maidens, um, and you know, just just looking where where the club and the level of play really across the country, but I, I, I can speak obviously more specifically about our club. The level of play has just in, improved exponentially. I, I was not words for for my first practice to to where to where we are now. Um, and you know, I think it was a combination of um, you know we we have both talented but personality-wise that have really unified the team and rallied the team. And then we, you know, every year we're, we're picking up, you know, more players that, um, you know, are really invested in, in what we're doing and in the club and really the team chemistry, um, which, you know, ultimately is, I think, what what is, you know, gives us that winning formula and create, created that culture of winning for us. I was about to so ask... Then, uh, yeah, I was about to ask that. What yeah. do you put that success down to? Because we've seen elsewhere great numbers, particularly on the West Coast. We've seen Portland with some great numbers. They've won a number of Division Two titles. We've seen some great numbers out of Seattle. Denver's always been strong for numbers. Minnesota's always been strong for numbers. But what is it at the moment? What's that X factor at San Francisco that's made the team so dominant? Well, it was about... It was after... We did pretty poorly my second season uh, at Nationals. Um... And I think that 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 season of our first championship, we really doubled down on our training. Um, you know, most players are training at least twice a week with the club. So you know, I think there was um, a huge investment um, in in, in commit, level of commitment. Um, and then you know, we're we're also a very close group of people. Um, we are, you know, most of us we call each other our best friends. Um, and so it's got like a, a family kind of feel to it. And I think that translates to the field because, you know, maybe you're running out of gas, maybe you don't have enough to make a play for yourself, but you got enough to make a play for your teammate who just killed himself trying to, you know, stop, you know, block the ball in or whatever. So I think, I think that, that chemistry gives us, um, that extra, motivation on the field to work for one another. Um, that's the only thing I can only think of. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of, it just switched on for us. Um, and, you know, I think it was a combination of things. But team chemistry is, team chemistry is one of the hardest things to create. And it's not something you can just snap your fingers and make happen. You can't necessarily, you know, assemble a team of the best players. I've been on quite a number of teams in all of my years of sports that were 
arguably one of the more talented in whatever concert we were playing in, but we just didn't have that extra thing that, that got us, you know, to, to win consistently. So, um, you know, I, I, I just have to give credit to, to just all it's, it's, it's the team, as a team, as a group, um, for, you know, working really hard for one another. But, um, you know, what I will say is <laughs> it was hard to win three championships, but, you know, four, I mean, you got it. We have a huge start in our back. I mean, there's probably, probably not a lot of people rooting for us anymore, <laughs> except for us. So I think that's going to be a good challenge for our team to step up to. Can you talk us through the turnover and squat that you've had and the new players that you've brought into it? Because I believe you've been resting a few of your veterans throughout the year because you played quite a number of games, a lot against Sacramento. Of course, there was the East-West Showdown recently, Western Regionals and the Cascadia Tournament. Yeah, we've, um, we, we haven't brought the same you know, a lot of the games. I mean, you know, everybody's got a life in, in this game. I think we're, we're all aware of that, um, you know, and other commitments outside. So we've had a little bit of a rotating cast uh, traveling this year. I think the, the most complete our team has been um, was at uh, Western Regional. Um, I think that showed up on scoreboard pretty well. Um, so, you know, there, there's been... We, we haven't really, well, we haven't played with our whole, we've always had a couple of uh, veterans that are, you know, we're unable to make it. So, you know, the other thing is, like, it's not even just about new players, but we've actually had some players that have played for a couple of years, and it's just like, this, it, they just switch on, the light bulb goes off, um, and they really elevate their level of play and, and become kind of a star. Um, and, you know, I think one of the players for us is, um, you know, that's been really big for us is Kix. And she's been playing a center-half forward for us. And she kind of came out of nowhere. She doubled down on her training and commitment to getting better. And it was like night and day, just like from one year to the next. And all of a sudden, she's just absolutely dominant. So there's always opportunities, I think, for players that want to really put in that extra effort. Uh, we've got a lot of players that are doing that right now, um, which is really great to see because, you know, like, you know, myself, like I'm, I'm, you know, not playing anymore. Um, you know, we lost seven, um, who is obviously just wildly dominant in defense. Um, and, you know, we still were able to win last year without the two of us for the first time. So I think just kind of backfilling in, you know, to fill in the shoes of some players that have played, you know, we have a very, we have a deep gospel now, which is really fun to work with as a coach. As much as you've lost some of the veteran players and, and yourself uh, stepping back from playing, you did have one gun fall right in your lap, one Katie Clatt. <laughs> yeah, um, we are obviously really excited uh, to have her on the squad. I mean, she just brings a level of experience, um, you know, skill and athleticism that is arguably unmatched in this country, uh, in this league. Um, so she's been really great to have on board. Um, I think that she helped elevate the play of the players around her. Um, she's done a great job of coming into the team and integrating with the team um, and, you know, bringing all of her skill set uh, to, to combine with what we already have. Um, and I think there's a really good she's meshing really well with the squad um, on, on and off the field. So it's, it's been obviously... <laughs> Any coach would be pretty excited to uh, have Katie Clatt join their, join their club. 
as we've been asking the other uh, teams that will be participating in Division 1, obviously you've had a number of new players join you this year. Who have really been standing out amongst the new players, particularly the tournaments that you have played, the Western Regionals, Cascadia, that are making a name for themselves as we head into Nationals? Um, we've got, you know, one of, our, one of the biggest... Yeah, it is just our team that's going to be in the midfield on the wing. Uh, Claire, she came from uh, Gala Football. Um, and, you know, any, also any coach in the USA loves to get Gala Football players. Um, their playmaking and the quickness of their hands um, and their instincts to support the ball um, are, are just, you know, it, it's obviously a huge, huge transfer um, of skills over to our, to our sport. Um, so she's been a huge addition. Um, you know, we've even moved some players around a little bit. So we have some players playing in positions that they haven't really played before, but, you know, it's helping them really settle in. Um, you know, I think we're, uh, we've got a couple players, you know, just shifting around a bit. I don't want to divulge too much of my secret, my secret sauce, but, um, you know, so we have had some new players. We have some player, new players coming in and, and supporting off of the bench um, and being extremely versatile. Um, and I think that's another thing that's like been really big for us is, you know, the versatility of players, the willingness to, to play where we need them. Uh, you know, if a player goes down or, we, you know, we need some extra run in the game in a certain position. So um, it's really just been, it's been a combination of things. Everyone's really flexible uh, to, you know, do whatever work's got to get done. Um, yeah, now Vika, so we've got, um, she's been, she's been huge for us this year. Uh, she's playing a defense for us. She's big presence. Uh, you know, and in the whole day down for us there. So I think that's a huge addition for us back in defense, especially now that we've, um, you know, just kind of playing where Bevin, Bevin would play. So looking at your opponents in Division 1, we'll begin just quickly by having a look at Pool A. It's been nicknamed the Group of Death because in your pool, you've got uh, last year's runners-up, the team that you beat for the title in the Seattle Grizzlies, and you've also got the six-time champions in the Denver Bulldogs. I'll get your thoughts, first of all, on the Bulldogs coming up against them. They've got a lot of rookies this year. How hard is it to come up against a side that you don't have quite as much intel on as compared to Seattle, which would have come across a number of times? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it definitely, I mean, I think everybody sees that that, that group and probably thinks the same thing. I mean, we have the, the only three teams that have been either winners or contenders for the past, I don't know, nine years, something like that. But, you know, the, the goal really ultimately is that, you know, we, we want some movement among the teams. We don't want to know where teams are going to place every year based on how they were last year. So, you know, you want some movement around. So, um, you know, it, it, it is going to be a tough group. Um, Denver in particular, you know, they, they play hard. There is, you know, any, any time you beat Denver, that's a big win. I think everybody can agree with that. And, you know, I've, it's great for the program that they're getting a bunch of new players. And honestly, um, you know, you'll, you want to, well, we're, we're always trying to, you know, give our own teams the, the edge as much as we can. I think we all want to watch the, 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 the league grow and the game grow across the board. So I think that's pretty exciting for them. I know that they're going to be playing hard. And, you know, ultimately, you know, it's kind of a little bit cliche, but when we play our game, when we do what we do, it's, it's a little bit less about what the team does and more about us just focusing on ourselves. Um, and I think by and large, that's, that's, that's going to be our strategy going into it. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see them uh, Denver this year. Um, obviously, Seattle's been showing really strong and playing really well. They have a lot of talent in that program that, that's been growing. So, 
it's going to be a tough group. I mean, definitely. <laughs> Yes, particularly with, as we said, two teams. When you say you've got a target on your back, two teams that want revenge, Denver for taking their title and, of course, Seattle for uh, last year's grand final loss. Over on the Pool B side of things, just very quickly, um, over there is Minnesota. Um, Minnesota, to be honest, came very, very close against you last year in the semifinals. You've got New York, which people are calling the dark horse this year. You've got Portland, and you just don't know what tricks Portland are going to pull out of the bag. Um, from Off the top of your head, who do you think of possibly the likely two that will come out of Pool B that you, you'll you be definitely probably up against one of them in the semifinal stage? Um, yeah, hopefully we're going through the semifinal stage, um, obviously. Um, you know, I am just going to decline to answer that. Um, just because all three of those programs um, have some historical strengths. Um, they're all capable of winning. They've all, you know, had a lot of success. Um Varying levels of success, actually, but you know they're they're all when you step on the field they're they're all big teams to beat. I think Minnesota they just have such a long history of, of playing really good football, um, and I, I you know they kind of feel like a ticking time bomb, just like kind of waiting to get that. They've, they've come close a number of times, you know, to, to some big wins at nationals. So you know they're 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 never a team that. Uh, yeah, that, that is to be taken lightly. Obviously, Portland has a lot of talent. Um, and then New York, you know, they're, they're always there's always a competitor. So, like, I, I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I would maybe have some guesses, but I'm, I'm going to keep that to myself. <laughs> and Carly, just one last question before we let you go. Should you take home the title on Sunday, October 13th? And that'll obviously be the San Francisco Iron Maiden's fourth title on the road, but it'll be your first title as coach. What would it mean to you personally in your sporting career having your first title win as a coach? Well, that would be different. It'll be different for sure. You know, I've done, I've coached some other sports quite a bit actually uh, throughout my career, but uh, I've never coached a team that won at all. So um, I think the, the the most significant thing for me was just that it, it just I, it makes me so proud of our team. Like the win last year was it made me so proud of the team. Just because there was, we lost two players that we weren't expecting to lose, you know, in, in Bevan and myself, both playing big targets in the middle of the field. And the fact that the team could adjust and play hard, dominate and win, um, just it, it shows that it's really the club winning. And I think it would be the same thing this year because we have new players coming in and it, and it shows that, you know, that we have kind of a formula and a culture of winning. Um, and, you know, that culture is really, really rooted in a lot of positivity. And I think it would just be like, it would just be great to see that happen again, um, just as a testament to like, to, to players working for one another and staying super positive. Um, and, it would, you know, I, I would just be obviously super proud of the team. Also, I mean, I want my first, I would love, love to have a win as a coach, uh, obviously. But um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm so proud of this club, but I'm just, I'm just proud to be a part of it. So you know, I just want to contribute, help out, keep it successful in any way that I can. Well, Carly, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Iron Maidens all the very best in the defence of your title at the USAFL National Championships. Great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football and RSN Carnival as we continue our look at the USAFL National Championships. A team taking part in Division 1 Pool A. They made the grand final last year. It's great to have on the line Marianne Dickinson from the Seattle Grizzlies. Marianne, how are you? 
I'm well, thanks. It's great to be back again. And how are the nerves as we count down to the national championships? Um, I think Seattle Grizzlies are feeling good. Uh, we've got a, a pretty good numbers in our side at the moment. We did some solid recruiting this year. Um, we're excited to make the trip out to Florida and get some sunshine and hopefully find ourselves in the grand final again. And just on that, for recruitment, how much has it been of a boost for the side to be able to go out and try and recruit players to say, hey, last year in our second year in Division One, we made the grand final of the national championships? Yeah, it sure doesn't hurt. Uh, we, we look to recruit uh, athletes who have got prior sport experience and obviously we want to be a competitive side so if they've got a bit of a uh, competitive drive to them then obviously they want to be on a team that's going to do well and that's what we're looking for. Now last year you made the grand final it's safe to say you made it without performing at a hundred percent because you, you had injuries along the way you were short-handed coming into it what lessons were you able to take away from last year's campaign to to be the basis of as you build up towards this campaign? Yeah, you raise a really good point. We competed in the final a man down for a lot of it um, just because we didn't have numbers. Um, so that's part of why recruiting has been such an integral part of our season. Um, and then trying to make sure everyone's fit and healthy um, and able to sustain the full tournament. It's tough. You know, we don't um, get too many games of training to really practice against the physical nature of teams like Denver or San Francisco who really come at us hard. Um, so the tournament is, you know, a bit of an eye-opener in that first game. Um, so if we can come through it without without injuries, then I think we'll be in a really good stead. How's the build been for the Grizzlies this year? You've gone through most of the year, with obviously, without having uh, Valerie Baba axtham who moved to Melbourne, April Lewis, who moved to Melbourne. Yourself, uh, through an ankle injury, you were unable to play. Uh, what's it been like trying to, without the star players, build up that side for campaigns against Vancouver, Calgary, Portland and San Francisco, just to name a few? Yeah, um, obviously those two players that we lost to Melbourne, it's great for them to get some experience and bring back that bring bring that back to the side but in the meantime as you said it's been a little bit tough um but on the other hand it has allowed us to really develop some new integral players um to the side and put people in different positions and see what they can do um and i think that that we've done a great job uh we had a strong performance at regionals uh we won Stumptown a couple of weeks ago um so i think overall it's been a good experience to get other members of the side some more experience um and when we get val and april back in just in time for nationals uh, then hopefully it'll be a, a really strong addition to an already you know pretty unified core squad with those new players you've got uh, predominantly what sports have they uh, come out of and um, who's really stood out for you out of those new players uh we've got kind of a, a mix of sports that have come in um we've always got some soccer players um, and this year we picked up a couple from uh, flag football. Um, that's American flag football. Uh, and uh, on that one, that's uh, that's Rachel, Rachel Bloom. Um, she's she's a tall, athletic um, player. So you will be seeing her maybe in the ruck, um, definitely up front, got some solid hands. Um, definitely excited to see what she can do. Excellent to hear. And when they come down to nationals, you've got San Francisco and Denver in your pool. Let's look at both sides. For Denver, I, I guess for you, hard to read because you hadn't played Denver this year. And they're coming in with a very new side, missing a lot of the veterans, uh, including, for the example, the likes of the Castanics who have retired. How do you read that coming into a side that's so new? How do you prepare for playing something like that? 
yeah, that is really tough. Um, we've heard through the basically the grapevine, having not seen them ourselves, um, about kind of the restructure. But honestly, it doesn't matter to us who we're going out to play. Um, we're trying to play Seattle football, and uh, hopefully we match up well on the day. Um, yeah, we haven't seen Denver, so we really we have no idea. Um, and we'll, we'll go into it attacking it like any other game. Now, you've crossed paths with San Francisco twice this year, being the Cascadia Tournament and then the Western Regionals. What lessons mm-hmm. have you taken out of those two times that you've played San Francisco? Because essentially they are the reigning champions and the road to getting the title is going through San Francisco. Yeah, it seems pretty likely. Um, they're definitely a physical team um, and it helps us to have played them a couple of times. Uh, we're more ready to... Uh, receive that pressure that's so immediate and relentless Um, and hopefully our bodies will be a little bit more prepared for that Um, but I think if we can play strong um, sustaining attacking football and really you know hold the core of the field then once again I reckon we'll put up a good fight Casting your eye over very quickly to the opposite pool, Pool B, where they've got Minnesota, New York and Portland. Who do you anticipate will probably be the two out of the three that will come to the semifinals and be your potential semifinal opponent should you make it to the next stage? Oh, goodness. Um, I'll never, ever, uh, you know, put aside Portland. They managed to show up and beat us and all, you know, every now and then. You'd see a team that's come out to fight and they give us a good run. Um, so I'll never uh, count them aside. Um, I hear that New York has got some good players and has uh, really stepped up their recruiting and training. So I expect to see a strong side out of them. And Minnesota as well. They were really strong last time we saw them. So I think it's going to be a good physical match against them too. So really, I, I don't know. It could be any of the three. Let's talk about the squad that you're bringing in terms of numbers. We mentioned last year you were shorthanded. We're playing 16 aside in Women's Division 1 this year. How many players are you bringing with you to Florida? I believe our final number is 19. So there will be a bench of three, so you'll be able to have some rotations. If from your point of view, what needs to go right for the Grizzlies on the weekend to be able to take home the title? Um, I think we need to come out firing on all cylinders. Um teams that we're playing against, especially Denver and San Francisco, uh, if you relax for a couple of minutes, they're going to get a good number of points on the board. We can't really afford to do that. Um, and then, again, as I said, just sticking away from injuries, um, playing hard, aggressive football, but but protecting our bodies and playing smart. Well, Marianne, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and all the best of luck to yourself and the Grizzlies as you head on down to Florida for the USAFL National Championships. Thank you very much. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, all the way from Colorado, from the Denver Bulldogs, it's great to have on the line Tara Silky. Tara, how are you? I am doing great. How are you doing there, Peter? Not bad at all. How are the uh, Bulldogs feeling as we count down to the USAFL Nationals for 2019? I think the Bulldogs are actually feeling pretty good. Um, They're very excited to go to Nationals. We have a lot of new ladies that are super amped up to be going and being able to play. We have some veteran players that are on board too that are ready to coach and 
leader ladies. So we're looking forward to it. Well, let's talk about the Bulldogs um, when you mentioned the veterans, because there's been a turnover of players, such as the uh, Halley and uh, Lindsay Castanek uh, have now retired. Lindsay is actually expecting very soon. Congratulations to her. Um, how's the structure of the team look compared to previous years when you had the two tools? You had Haley in the middle and Lindsay would be up forward. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been uh, rebuilding for sure. Um, we've tried to put our new players in different positions and kind of feel them out and suss them out. So uh, it's definitely, you know, have their growing pains this uh, past last year and then this year. Um, we've had some growing pains and definitely rebuilding. But I think our rookies are really taking to the game and they are enjoying it and coming out to trainings and loving it and learning new positions and kind of feeling out where they need to be. So. While um, we have some people in set positions that we know for a fact they do really, really well in, there are other players that definitely we're still trying to figure out where they need to be, and uh, hopefully we can get there before Nationals. Let's talk about um, the road that you've had over these last uh, 12 months or so. Uh, you've been fortunate to have so many players that at times you've actually had to split your squads in half, including at the Central Regionals where we had two Denver sides. Yes, I mean, that was really exciting to have that. Um, with the Denver Bulldogs this year, we've had an awesome job of recruitment. We've done such a great job of making sure um, we've grown our team through social media, through meetup groups, through word of mouth, um, grabbing people off the street even if we've had to. So kudos to us for just doing an amazing, amazing recruitment job. Um, we've had some players fall off just because they've come through and been traveling um, and have only stayed or been able to stay in the country for a couple of months um, before having to leave back to their native um, country. But, uh, you know, we started off the season super strong with a lot of ladies. We've had a couple fall offs, but again, that was from them traveling or having to go back to school. Um, but yeah, we're still looking pretty good on the recruitment front. Um, we get new ladies daily. We just uh, accumulated two more new ladies. They won't be joining us at Nationals this year, unfortunately, but we're hoping they stick with us for the following seasons yet to come. Can you talk about the variety of sporting backgrounds that these players have been recruited out from? Um, yeah, I mean, all of them have kind of varying backgrounds. I mean, a lot of these players have no um, sporting background at all. They just uh, look online and see, you know, something new to try, and they're uh, new to this country even, or new to Colorado, and they're like how to meet new people, and they've joined our team and loved it. Um, some of our players have backgrounds in sports like basketball and soccer and things like that, or track, um, but most of them have not played a sport at all, ever before in their life and this is the first time ever even playing a sport so it's been kind of interesting in that regard not only training and getting rookies involved in Australian rules football which is a unique sport all its own but also trying to train them just on any aspect of playing any sport whatsoever. Can we talk about the adjustment to 18 aside football? We know particularly for um, some of the other well, uh, teams that they've all been playing like seven aside and nine aside, and then they struggle when it comes to nationals to be able to play 18 aside. Because you've had so many players, and again, splitting aside in two, have you been able to play 12, 14, 16 aside scratch matches? And how much has that helped to try and uh, adjust to that 18 aside game? 
Um, we have on occasion been able to do that. Um, again, just with our varying players and being a women's team, it's always difficult to, you know, have all of those players always attend training and scratch matches and Metro games and things just because they have lives outside of footy and now they have families they have to take care of. Women on the side tend to generally have more time towards their families or schooling or whatnot. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, in the beginning of the season, we had more of those type uh, games where we could have many more players and then a lot of again our players had to move back or leave the country we just had one of our awesome awesome players diana she's from columbia she recently just had to go home so we have had numbers drop off a little um but we um you know we do really well during our metros in our trainings to try to be there, um, being able to run, being able to play 18 aside. Um, I think at nationals, we're going to actually end up being 16 aside, I heard, um, due to Seattle's numbers. So that might be a little bit better for our new players. But yeah, we're looking forward to it. We're excited. We, uh, we're ready to go. From your point of view, who have been some of the new players that have really stood out and impressed you as we start to head into nationals? Um, yeah, I mean, I it's hard to pinpoint just a couple because I am so so proud of all of our rookie players this year um, every single girl that has showed up that's been brand new to this team has just been amazing they put in all their effort their first foot on the field they take one step on the field and they are just gung-ho all in so I just want to take a second to just say how much I appreciate and love every single one of our rookie players they are awesome this year um, some of our couple standout players so far um, they she got mentioned Brian um, Barish mentioned uh, our uh, rock this year, who is uh, Dot Wheeler. She has really stepped up and kind of taken over that new position for her. That's a brand new position for her, and she's never played the sport before. Um, she does a lot of weightlifting and things like that as her background, and she's really tall, so that helps for the rock position, obviously. But she's kind of stepped up in that position and really taken over. Um, we have other players like Hannah Lang. Um, she's always out in that field, given 100%. She recently had to move a little bit farther away from the Denver area, so she always makes those long commutes over the weekend to come back to training, so that's awesome. Um, Megan Larson, she's usually playing kind of more of a defensive role. She always gets out there and just gives it her all, very aggressive. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's hard to pinpoint our you know, super standout new players because they are all amazing and just give everything they have. It's incredible. And who out of the veterans are we expecting to see a return from? I mean, the, the names that stick out in my head were Twania Clark, I think of Ty Streff, I think of Jessica Gray holding up the back line. Who's going to be back and who's uh, actually going to also be taking over the captaincy for this championships? Um, yeah, so our we have very few veteran players. So we have uh, 12 rookies total and uh, only three players that have been playing more than five years for the Denver Bulldogs that are making comeback, and then the rest of our players have only been playing three, two to three years max. So it's a very, very new team. So our veteran players this year or the ones that you'll probably recognize the most are Anna Thexton. She's going to be making a comeback in our center, probably, or full forward line again. Um, and then we definitely have Jess Gray. She'll be making a comeback and helping out probably in the center and defensive line as well for our players. Um, 
Wisp. And then we're actually having Jen Wilson-Humphreys come back. She's been a veteran player for many years with the Denver Bulldogs. She plays when she can. Um, she's an awesome full-time mom and gives the priority to her husband, which is awesome, who plays for the men's team. But she'll be coming out and uh, playing with us this year, which is great. So we're really excited to have her. And then our other somewhat uh, newer veterans that are coming back are Zoe and Alexis. So they'll be uh, making the comeback as well this year. So it's a little exciting to have them kind of be newer veterans, but uh, played enough to help our rookies out. So let's talk about the two other sides that are in your pool, Pool A, Division 1. The top two go through to the uh, semifinals. And you've got a bit of history with both sides. The first one, obviously, <laughs> is the San Francisco Iron Maidens, who took your crown at that venue in Florida in 2016, and they got the better of you again in uh, 2017. How does it feel going up against the, the juggernaut? Um, I remember that first time they took our, took our uh, medals and our... Um, yeah, silverware away from us. So I remember that game. It was a very tough game. They are a definitely a formidable opponent. So uh, we're we're excited to play them. Um, we've had you know some tough games this season, and I think we've we've you know stepped up and taken on the challenge. And we might not have always won, but our players go out and they play with their hearts and they play as hard as they possibly can and give it give it their all. So I think we'll. You know, it's going to be a tough challenge, um, especially with all the new players not still having, you know, set positions or uh, enough games in their, underneath their belts. But I think overall we'll, we'll give them a run for it. And then, of course, there is Seattle, who shocked everyone, to be honest. Um, when, they, <laughs> when they won last year, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, fair to say revenge is on the cards? Um, yeah, I definitely think, you know, with Seattle, we'll definitely be able to hold our own against them. Um, you know, with the rebuilding year and, again, so many rookie players, it's hard to actually give a definitive answer. But, again, all of our women on the team are just awesome with how much heart they play with. Um, they're not out there to – I mean, obviously, everyone's out there to try to get a win, but they are out there to play that game because they truly love the game, and I can't emphasize that enough for all the players on the Denver Lady Bulldogs. They go out on that field every single day with a love for the game and a love for all of our players on that field. And just some thoughts on the teams on the other side uh, of Pool B, uh, just quickly in Division 1. Uh, obviously, over there, you've got the Portland Sockeyes, which would have played against um, over a number of years. Um, the New York Magpies, who uh, recently – defeated, I believe, or more of a rookie-based side that you sent over just a couple of weeks ago. And then the Minnesota Freeze, who both of your Bulldog sides played against um, in the Central Regionals. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think those three teams as well, um, they all three have a shot. Like, I don't think anyone in this division has a clear-cut win for this Nationals. Um, everyone has an equal chance. Uh, I think, you know, whoever they bring to nationals and however hard they play, um, the Denver Bulldogs will be there doing their best to match them. Uh, I know we struggled a little bit in New York, but we, we held our own in New York. I uh, definitely recognize that we had new players on the field, but they said we had a team that, you know, that gave it their all and uh, definitely gave them a challenge. So that was always good to hear. So I think with that three, those three sides, you know, it's going to be an awesome nationals. And it's great to see, you know, all these teams and players growing, especially in the women's division. It's awesome to see that. Well, Tara, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Denver Lady Bulldogs all the very best at the national championships in Florida.
Great. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. So that's our look at the Women's Division 1 Pool A teams at the United States Australian Football League National Championships. We're going to be chatting to the Pool B teams on the other side of this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. We're continuing our championships editions. Earlier, we were focusing on the AFL European Championships, uh, kicking off today, London time, and running right through until Saturday. More information on the AFL Europe Facebook page. And we're in the middle of taking a look at the United States Australian Football League National Championships. We just spoke to the teams from the Women's Division 1 Pool A. Now we're speaking to the teams from Women's Division 1 Pool B. Coming up, the New York Magpies and the Portland Sockeyes. But first, here's the Minnesota Freeze. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, all the way from Minnesota, from the Minnesota Freeze, it is Paige Kicker. Paige, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm great today. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on the line. And uh, first of all, congratulations to the Minnesota Freeze coming into the Nationals, going through the regular season without dropping a game. Yeah, we've just had a really exciting season um, that we just kind of got really, a lot of early momentum going into the Des Moines tournament and haven't looked back since. I was really impressed with our showing at the Central and feeling really optimistic about um, how Nationals is going to go for us this year. Now, before we focus on the freeze as a team, uh, personally, your story, Paige, uh, what sport were you playing before you took up Aussie Rules? Yeah, I grew up um, as a goalkeeper in soccer and ba- played basketball. Um, so that's kind of the background I had coming into it. So a lot of those skills translated pretty well to footy, but um, was just one of those classic Americans who had never heard of the game until I kind of stumbled upon the sport. And how did you stumble upon it? Um, it was exactly that. So I had graduated from university and was looking for some local soccer teams just to get to know people in the Minneapolis area and ended up finding the freeze instead and, you know, watched a couple of YouTube videos, thought, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll try this out. And I mean, it was just a match made in heaven. I've just loved the game and it's just taken me so many places and I've made friends all around the country as a result. And with that, you're not just any ordinary player picking up the football. You managed to get national honours as well. Can you explain how that felt, representing the USA at the International Cup? Yeah, that was just a really surreal moment. I mean, I as a lifelong athlete, being able to throw on a jumper with your team, um, nation's colours was just a really... Um, big moment for me just in my life and in my sporting career. Um, so being able to, to visit Australia for the first time and compete at such a high level, it you know, really uh, kind of showed me how 
you know, high the talent gets around the globe and just really kind of brought me back to the United States and the USAFL, kind of hungrier to improve and um, just keep uh, getting my game uh, to a better level. Let's talk about the Freeze as a team. Um, over the last few years that I've seen them, prior to last year's Nationals, the Minnesota Freeze were a middle-of-the-road team, win a couple of games, lose a couple of games. That's that's how it went along. It was always uh, a threat, but not quite enough to get to the top two. Last year, you had a very good Nationals. In fact, if one or two kicks had just gone straight, who knows you're in the grand final and who knows you beat Seattle? It's always the big question mark. But it seemed to be a more direct game for Minnesota last year, using more of the central corridor. Can you explain about that evolution of football over the last year or so of the freeze to try and find the next step? Yeah, I think the last two years we've just gained momentum um, that I, you know, the fastest that I've seen in uh, the five years I've played with the team. So we gained a large core of new players last year who really helped to kind of bolster our, the depth of our talent and athleticism and topped off with a couple more um, this year. So I think we're probably the best I've ever seen us, um, which makes me really excited just knowing how close we were uh, last year as you're exactly right. I mean, a couple, you know, kicks here and there, and we were in the final, and, and who knows if we could have just taken it all home. I, I feel like Minnesota has often just kind of been always the the bridesmaid, never the bride there, getting into the grand final, as we're, we're in it until, you know, kind of the last few moments of the tournament. Um, until then, something happens and we get knocked out. So, you know, anything can happen. You know, you don't want to come in too overconfident, but I, I'm coming into this tournament feeling very good about our chances. Has there been a, a change or evolution at all in the, in the game plan, the style that Minnesota is playing? Because you, you watch some American teams from an Australian perspective and it's just kick it up the line, up and back, up and back. It's almost a bit of ping pong and it's a case of you're backing your better players to beat their better players. Whereas for Minnesota, what we saw at the Nationals last year was a willingness to, uh, to use the phrase, change lanes, to try and use the whole width of the field to, when the corridor is open to take it and run and try and open up the game. Has there been an evolution in that coach? style? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, it, until you have kind of that core of your team who can, you know, think laterally and, you know, move backwards to move forwards, it's difficult to avoid that kind of just kick up the field and run gameplay. But I would say Minnesota is there. It's something we've been very intentional about, you know, switching play to, you know, get it over to the far side where there's a little less heat. Um, so I think it's really an initiative that our former coach, Dale Williams, started with us last year. But it's something that our new coach, Brent Fisher, has really emphasized this year. Um, you know, you're going to kind of see a change to our gameplay anytime, you know, a new coach takes the reins. So I think we will probably look a little different this year than uh, we have even um, last year. But, you know, as our regular season record shows, you know, clearly some of those changes were for the better um, and we're coming in in a good spot. And let's talk about that, because in the past, Minnesota had struggled to be able to find a game to play, simply where you're located in the U.S., in the northern central mm -hmm. part of the area. But I believe over this year, you've been able to rack up a few more games, leaving aside from the central regionals, but being able to take on more, for example, the Chicago, North Star, Blue Ox, Wisconsin combinations. 
Yeah, that's been really exciting and something, a trend that I hope continues, um, just seeing the women's game really start to take off in some of our neighboring states. Um, as, yeah, Chicago has quite the uh, coalition of women that have joined, as well as Des Moines um, to our south in Iowa and then Wisconsin. So usually if we can get everyone together, um, you know, this was the first year in, of the Des Moines tournament where there was an entire women's bracket. Usually we would just go down and play kind of a exhibition match there, but we actually had a a round-robin pool play there, which was a really exciting thing to see. Um, so hopefully that continues to grow as it's just a really great way to kick the season off, um, just getting a couple of games in um, early in the season. As Yeah, I mean, people think that it's, you know, maybe, you know, minus 10 Celsius here year-round, but it's lovely in the summer. I don't know why they never want to come visit, but um, we're, we're pretty willing to uh, go travel wherever um, we need to go just to get those games in during the regular season. And you talk about those tournament brackets in years gone by because of the limited number of women's teams. Essentially, they played at the Eastern Regionals and for Minnesota, you actually played at the Western Regionals because there was no women's conference in the Central Regionals. That's changed of late. We saw four teams this year, obviously Texas flying up north, yourselves making a northern team combination up against Denver, who had enough numbers to split themselves in half. So it's a bit hard to get a gauge of where Denver's at. But how pleasing was it to take out that Central Regional title? Oh, it was, yeah, it was unexpected just how, you know, well our team came together in, in mid-season form. And, you know, anytime you combine with another team, you know, there's some question marks, but I think we gelled really well with Chicago and, you know, just from game one, just had success that entire day um, and just had a really great showing. And um, we only had a dozen players from Minnesota. So just when you think about topping up with the rest of our team that um, couldn't make it. It just gets me really excited about you know, how well this team has come together this year. Let's talk about the two teams that you've got coming up in Pool B of uh, Division 1 this year. Um, safe to say at the moment you're going in as the favourites, but you're up against two very tough sides, physical sides. Uh, first of all, you've got the Portland Sockeyes, who of course have got their uh, uh, two tall Aussies at either end of the field in Simone Shepard and in Lucy Parrington. Yeah, I think that's an opponent we've kind of gotten to know um, a little better in recent years. So you always want to keep an eye on where Simone is on the field and try to keep it away from her if possible. That usually um, brings success to your offensive efforts. It, it kind of seems like they're using her in more of a defensive role this year. So it'll be interesting um, how we're able to kind of switch it around her and take her out of the game. But um, Lucy just, yeah, as an on-baller, is always everywhere and is always going to you know, impact the play. So um, definitely someone to be mindful of. But um, I think that our midfield core has really come together this year and can hopefully kind of neutralize that threat. And then we look at the New York Magpies. Now, to be fair, as much as the New York Magpies and the win-loss ratio have struggled at the Nationals over recent years, they, A, have recruited more players this year, but, B, even in the past, New York have been one of those sides where, yes, they would lose, but you wouldn't exactly have an easy game and you wouldn't rack up a big score against them. That's exactly right, and, and we haven't seen New York um, on the field since 2015, so they're obviously a completely different side since then, but... Um, so are we. And, you know, with Christina Licata at the, the helm, um, you know, obviously they're going to be a very well-coached group. So uh, I think it'll be interesting as we're, you know, we don't know a lot about them. They're kind of, yeah, the, I think they were labeled the dark horse of the Division One pool. So definitely not someone you want to underestimate as I personally believe that they are much better than they have been in, in the past years. So um, that'll probably be yeah, one of the more difficult opponents that we'll face in the tournament.
Of course, the other three teams are over in Pool A, uh, San Francisco, Seattle and Denver. Are you glad to uh, not be involved in what's being dubbed the group of death? <laughs> you know, I just think it's about time Minnesota finally got into, yeah, the, the not group of death, as I think that's been, you know, we've always had a long road uh, to the grand final, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about our pool play for day one at least, but we'll see who um, we cross over to play on day two, as I think, yeah, all three of those teams kind of have their work cut out for them as, um, I mean, it, it's difficult to say with, you know, Denver having such a large group of new players how exactly they'll fare in that pool but you know that you know Seattle and, and San Francisco are probably going to go down to the wire against each other. Yes it will be a very interesting pool to see how that uh, comes out as and who finishes second and possibly if you finish first who you get to uh, meet in a semi-final if four goes to plan. From your own uh, point of view Paige who's really been hitting the right form at the right time for the freeze? Yeah so I think a lot of our second-year players have me very excited. Um, so Pia Richardson definitely comes to mind. Um, she had received an invite to the, the Freedom Camp in um, Racine earlier this year and is just, you know, really a game-changer for us um, up in our forward line. And then um, in our back line, we have Lindsay Steen, who you know, just has improved leaps and bounds in just her composure and her technique. She's able to just kind of lift her eyes, find a target, um, and, and hit them in the midfield or the forward line. So I think just having um, some of those newer players, you know, to really step up this year has really kind of changed um, what we're capable of, as, you know, you're always going to have the core of, you know, Kathy Ohad, um, Ket Georgiades, um, Andrea Tobias, me, um, and kind of our, you know, freedom caliber group. But I think, you know, we're probably the deepest team we've ever been where, you know, when you look at our roster, um, the, there's really not a, a talent drop off that some teams might see. You know, we're kind of strong in every position. And that's what has me feeling really good. Um, and we, we've also gained a new rookie this year who's just phenomenal um, named Kaya, who I think is just really going to take a lot of our opponents by surprise along with the leadership of Lizzie even as well. It's sounding like a pretty solid core. Yeah, yep. I. It, it's Lizzie moved to Utah, but we've been seeing her in a lot of tournaments and staying really connected with her. So adding her to our back line, you know, as that kind of final backstop, you know, yeah, I think um, a lot of teams are going to struggle to uh, get through our defensive walls. Well, Paige, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. and wish you and the Freeze all the very best in Division 1 Pool B at the USAFL Nationals in Florida. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival as we continue our look at the USAFL Nationals at Lakewood Ranch, Florida uh, this coming weekend. It's great to have on the line one of the veterans of women's football in the USA from the New York Magpies, it's Dre Casillas. Dre, how are you? Hey, Peter. I'm good. How are you? Not too bad at all. It's great to have you back on the line. And there was some fears that you wouldn't be participating in the Nationals this year, not because of a major injury or anything like that. It's just that, hey, you decided to have a baby along the way. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a bit of an a interesting year this year. So, yeah, we, we will be bringing little Atlas along so he can see both his mom and dad play. Um, hopefully we do him proud. <laughs> and just to make everyone's eyes pop out with this little bit more detail, you actually just farewelled uh, Gabrielle, your oldest son, on the way to college, and then here's another one. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. There's there's a 19-year a gap in one day um, for the two brothers. So it's it's a it's funny. Um, but yeah, Gabriel's over in uh, up in New Hampshire playing soccer, um, and we'll be in Florida <laughs> playing footy. Now, we've been talking a lot about mums coming back to football. Uh, the one that we know the best, of course, is Diana Haynes, formerly of Diamond Creek, who uh, was three months between her having a kid and, and coming back to play at the VFLW level. For yourself, um, how quick was the turnaround to, hi, here's Atlas, to back with the New York Magpies again? Oh, well, so I definitely have been involved all this year um, and tried to keep my fitness up, hoping that I could get back onto the field. Um, and I was able to get my first game in a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that was at about ooh, six weeks. That is, that, um, that is was incredible. with trainer and physical therapist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, so next time we see Daisy Pierce, which will be something like 10 months between her having her twins and coming back, we say, come on, Daisy, soft, soft, Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can tell any woman after having twins that they're soft. <laughs> no, 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 I might just cop a punch in the nose for that one. But no, yeah. it, it's, it's great to have you back out there for the Nationals. And let's talk about the New York's form uh, since the last Nationals. It, it didn't go the way that you wanted. You didn't get a win on the board last year. But you've turned it around, first of all, with the recruiting campaign and I believe the numbers have got to such a stage where essentially you're bringing a team in a bit yeah yeah we're really happy about that one of the things or one of our goals uh this year uh in the lead up just to the season opening was uh getting um more players uh so that we could have a better campaign at nationals and um we, I think we surprised ourselves a bit with the result we're really happy to have um a team and then some um, of really, really great players that are all very keen to um, just kind of keep up our Magpies brand, which is um, playing hard, but also enjoying every minute of it. Let's talk about the year to date that you've had. You've been playing a lot against your East Coast rivals, in particular uh, the Washington DC Eagles. You've got the Columbus Cats in there as well. Obviously, some handful of games with combined players in Philadelphia, Baltimore, and and Boston. And, and particularly against DC and Columbus, a bit of an up and down year. A couple of wins, a couple of losses. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's great to see all the all the teams coming up on the East Coast. Um, and it provides a bit of a challenge to us because when they combine, I mean, they're, they're pretty formidable. So uh, we are, are encouraged because they all have um, great futures ahead of them, especially with the type of recruiting that they're bringing um, and the type of challenges that they bring to us as um, the, uh, the team onto our own right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love the, the up and down because I think that provides um, – learning opportunities for our team to grow. Some travelling was on the cards as well. You headed over for the East-West Showdown, and the players are essentially broken up, so it's hard to get a genuine result from that. Uh, San Francisco, a dominant side on the day, but you obviously mixed in with Sacramento in New York, so a bit hard to read that form line coming out of the East-West tournament. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where, man, I wish that it didn't cost so much to play and travel because playing against a team like uh, San Francisco um, and then even playing against or with Sacramento, just it just provides um, a different view for our players um, as to what other teams look like um, because we only play against the East Coast team. So, I mean, you see, you see how um, – how well San Francisco works together and how 
um, how aggressive and how many connections that they can make. Um, and that, that helps give a new set of goals to our players. So, uh, yeah, definitely they dominated, but it, it was, again, another one of those learning opportunities that, that we really need in order to grow. What is certainly a morale booster for you coming into the uh, Nationals uh, in Florida is you've had the wood over Montreal. Luckily, you won't be facing... Well, for Montreal's sake, they won't be facing you. They'll be in Division 2. But you've had the wood over Montreal uh, up there and then, of course, uh, for the uh, recent Family Day tournament against Denver. And more importantly, you comfortably beat the six-time reigning champions. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's always great to... uh to get a win going into nationals. You can use that momentum um, to help really, really uh, encourage the team. But, it, I mean, for us in playing on the East Coast, since we sometimes play against, the, or most of the time play against a divided side, sometimes we have to um, mix in with the other team. So playing together as one team was just, it was just great to have that opportunity that we really haven't had since um, we played earlier this season, I think in May in Montreal. Um, so again, a good a good thing to come together and know that we can uh, sync up those links and work on uh, the things that we were working on at training. Um, but Denver, I mean, Denver, I was just amazed that they had so many players that traveled so close to nationals, but so many new players. Um, I mean, yeah, they have won six six rings but man you know their their future is looking pretty bright too let's talk about the side that you're building and creating and sending to the nationals before we go player by player it seems by reading the form line through the year you've increased your scoring power up front which is a good sign because as we've seen in past nationals uh, as much as you've lost games, you haven't been easy to score against. You've always been a well-drilled uh, defensive unit. You've just had a little bit of trouble up front in the forward half. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely uh, looked to get more uh, more of a variety of players into the forward line. Um, I think I think what has come naturally to us is teaching how to be um, how to play defensively, um, but then putting on the press and making other teams learn or play defensively against us is, has been more of our goal. So seeing what works in the forward line and seeing how we can get that transition um, off a little bit more seamlessly, uh, it was kind of uh, one of our focuses this year. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's a little up in the air for me at least to know who exactly will be our main forwards just because uh, we've had so many people go in and out of the forward line with a lot of success. Let's talk about the new players that you've got and brought into your side. Um, first of all, how have you recruited them and what's the ratio been like uh, compared to American players to non-nationals? Oh, wow. Um, I would. I think we have, I mean, coming to nationals, maybe some over 10 um, new players, and most are American. I wouldn't know. I mean, I would say at least 80% of those are American. Um, and, I mean, it just one of the things that I think is great um, about the Magpies, but I think you see it with all the women's teams, is that we are everyone's pretty relentless about recruiting. So we get one person to love it, and then they – you know, tell their friends and it kind of goes on from there. So, I mean, the players that we have uh, coming to nationals is, I mean, it's less than what we've been able to recruit this year, just coming to training. 
um, and coming to our local uh, competition. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good variety of players, a good variety of Americans who haven't seen uh, the, the game at all. So we're introducing them to that as well, which is kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's a good amount of Americans, I think. Um, in your honest opinion, who, who's found form at the right time for the Magpies? Um, as far as our new players or just, uh, overall for the say, squad. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you see players like, uh, Danielle Gallagher, um, and Grace Kaplow that are just, you know, they're, they're kind of always on an upward trajectory. They just never, they never seem to plateau. So you have those kind of studies. Um, and then you see players like Emma Kading and, uh, like, Nat just start to feel really um, comfortable in their roles and getting that kind of um, just feeling the flow and feeling that confidence that we need them to to have as uh, as more of our veteran players. Uh, but then we have our new players um, that like Janie Green and um, just uh, Siobhan McCallow, they're, they're just really rock hard players that uh, I'm really excited to have an experience at Nationals because I think they're going to do really well. And I believe the captaincy honor now with Nat Wolf. Yeah, Nat Wolf is doing a great job as a captain. Um, I mean, it's it it's not it's almost a thankless task to to captain a team, um, especially a team where there's such a variety of players with different levels of experience. Um, and she's taken that on and she's done a good job. So let's talk about the pool B in division one that you'll be up against a very interesting pool. You're up against the Portland sock guys who you lost to last year in a thriller, but Portland have one in being one of your own Lawrence Kosnechny, but they've actually lost one in her. The Serpico will be playing for the Texas heat. And then you're also up against the Minnesota Freeze, where the Freeze have, been, have had limited amount of games compared to the rest of uh, the USAFL, but they're unbeaten. So you've got an interesting pool, and it looks like it could be down to you and Portland of who goes through to Sunday into the finals. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny because now the league has grown to a point where uh, there are a lot of names that you don't recognize. So, um, I mean, we kind of know what, what these teams um, – what their trademark style of play is. And um, definitely we have to worry about Portland. They have um, good steady leadership that, you know, we know that will, that will come out strong um, the day of. And then Minnesota's, yeah, they don't have the experience across the league um, so much in the game time, but they, they're pretty, they're pretty uh, uh, active as far as playing their local league. Um, And so I don't, I don't doubt that they will come out, um, and display their experienced players uh, as they always do. But then also they're bring, I'm sure they're bringing along their new players, which they seem to have a good amount of. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm anticipating two very tough games on a Saturday, I guess, is the, is the short end of that. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how fast-flowing the game could be. Again, you like to play a defensive style, but Portland in the past liked to use the corridor because they've got Shepard and Parrington. And also you've got Minnesota who like to use the corridor when you think of Georgiades and you think of Kika. Right, absolutely. And and they they uh, those players definitely take good roles for the team. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how 
whether or not those players will be marked or not, but I, I do anticipate, or I do expect that our players will be able to match up well against um, their, their strong players. And just quickly, if you look at Pool A, you've got over there uh, the Denver Lady Bulldogs, the San Francisco Iron Maidens, and the Seattle Grizzlies. It's been nicknamed the Group of Death. Um, how pleasing is it, though, from a U.S. women's footy point of view, that you look at both pools and you go, OK, we can kind of see who the favourites are in both pools, but because the top two go through, we're not exactly sure what these semifinal matchups are going to be. Yeah, it makes it really exciting, right? Um, yeah, that, that pool is uh, pretty strong, and I think that um, you can see that there, there's these games are going to be really important, and, and I'm hoping that, you know, the experience, uh, you know, the experience on each of the teams helps keep the composure and then just the athleticism that we have uh, kind of puts us through. And one last question, Dre, before we let you go. Of course, as we mentioned at the top, you're a veteran of U.S. women's footy. Before you began at New York, you actually came out of Arizona, one of the two originals, along with Christina Licata. What does it mean to you personally when you look back from all those years ago that you've come out of Arizona to know that out of that state, recruited as an AFLW contracted player, Danielle Marshall? Yeah, you know, that's it's amazing to see, and I... I definitely would have been proud of um, any one of us or any of the the women players coming out of the U.S. Uh, to to have that. Um, but it is it is a little uh, it is nice to see somebody wearing that Arizona name just so you, you can feel a little bit more of an homage to to the great state that I grew up in. But yeah, it's 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 great and it's wonderful and. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to have her shoulder any pressure uh, because we're just all kind of supporting and hoping that this leads the way for more um, talent to be uh, picked up from here because, I mean, we, we know that there's plenty of talent in the U.S. to, to jump, on, um, jump on board. Well, Dre, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the New York Magpies all the very best in Division One Pool B at the Nationals in Florida. Yeah, thank you. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival as we continue our look at the USAFL Nationals. It's great to have on the line a former New York Magpie, now a Portland Sockeye, and Lauren Skisnechny. Lauren, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Peter. Now, it's great to have you on the line. How does it feel to be going from the East Coast to the West Coast to now play with Portland? There's certainly a lot of of new competition out here. Um, I was familiar with a lot of the players um, on the West Coast from being involved with the Freedom and Liberty programs. But it's definitely a higher standard of competition just because there are more full-sided teams out here. Uh, which is great because it lets us get in a lot more uh, large-sided games. Um, the development on the East Coast, though, is quickly catching up to that. So I, I don't think that it's going to be that, that long until we're seeing full-sided games all throughout the country and some pretty uh, pretty high competition at Nationals. And how have you been enjoying that? Because I believe regularly have been obviously playing against neighbours, Seattle and uh, the Pacific Northwest, but also having visits from uh, the San Francisco Iron Mains as part of um, uh, the Cascadia tournament. Of course, recently had Stump Down Throwdown with Calgary coming down and having a side, the Vancouver. Vixens. How have you enjoyed that variety? Yeah, it's really been nice to see some new competition. Um, obviously, anytime you play against a team like San Francisco, you know you, you have to bring your A game, um, and it's been great to see some really 
even competitions with them. Um, we've kind of traded back and forth a little bit. Obviously, they set the standard for women's football in this country. So being able to feel like we can at least compete with them and mostly we learn from them when we play, um, that's a real bonus uh, from having the proximity to San Fran out here. How's the vibe been for Portland over the last 12 months? In an unusual situation, you played in a game which was Portland's first win in Division 1, but you were on the other side. You are playing for <laughs> New York, which, which lost. But uh, how's it been for the Portland Sockeyes women's team since, obviously, they had a lot of success in Division 2, but at least making the step up to Division 1 and at least coming away with a win in their first year? Yeah, it's been a really exciting time to be a part of Portland footy on the women's side, especially. Um, and a big part of that is because I feel like the team is right on that transition point between starting out and finding its footing and really kind of hitting, you know, humming internationals. Uh, their numbers have been growing throughout the years, and that's obviously in big part due to Simone Shepard, to Heather Serpico, Lucy Parrington, just working really, really hard to bring players in. Um, and as a result, there's a lot of players who have been around now for about two or three years. And that's, I find, really the time where you start to hit your stride, where you, you feel like you're understanding the game, you, your skills are on point, the confidence kicks in, and you can really start playing the ball a lot more um, and playing in a more proactive as opposed to reactive style of footy. So that's what I see happening in Portland right now. We have a lot of those players who are making that transition into being more confident players, into understanding the game really well, and that just brings the whole team up combined with some really exciting new rookies who are coming over from American football, so they're not afraid to be physical. Uh, I think it sets us up to at least you know, make, make a statement at Nationals uh, and see where, see where we land. And what has the turnover been like compared to the side that played in the 2018 Nationals at Racine? Um, how many newbies do we see coming to the squad? Yeah, I'd say we have about um, maybe about five first-year players, uh, and then again, a lot of those players that are kind of in that two- to four-year range, and then uh, a handful of veterans, um, obviously, like I mentioned, Lucy, Simone, myself. Um, so there's a really nice mix of, um, of experience levels. Let's have a look at that squad coming in. How have they been performing coming into the Nationals? Who's really been standing up for you so far? Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned, some of those players that have been around a couple of years, we have um, Brandy, who's been playing in the ruck, also plays really well uh, at center half forward. She's a great target, super physical. Um, and then we have Amon Weaver, who is kind of a, she, she might get the reputation around the league of being like the one that just shuts players down. She's super physical, plays really hard. Um, she's a great tagger. Um, we also have some new players in um, Sarah Cabot, um, and Melanie Abrook, who are coming over from, like I said, American football. So a couple of players that are coming in with a big, uh, a lot of experience being physical. Um, some adjustment to obviously new rules of a new game, uh, but they'll definitely be players to watch. Um, we also have um, Annabelle, who is an Australian on the team, uh, who I think just stands out in any position that she's in. You know, anytime you get an Australian coming in, they at least are coming in with a sense of understanding of the game. Um, and that that's definitely a really valuable thing to have as well. And out of those players, who, who do you hope to step up to give you those goals in the forward line? Because with Heather now moving, that's Heather Serpico we talk about now, moving to Austin, Texas, um, and relocating there, and she'll play for the Texas Heat. She was a midfielder pushing forward and, and be responsible for a large number of the Sockeyes goals, particularly when in the Division Two days. Who, do be, who are you hoping to get that goal power out of at this tournament? Yeah, we have a couple of really good boots on the team who are kind of able to play either a more offensive mid or play up in that forward line. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Brandy is a great boot. Um, Simone can pretty much come up anywhere and kick a goal. Uh, there was a funny situation in one of our games where Marto, our coach, was like, ah, she can't kick a, you know, whatever meter goal. She got out there and kicked it from basically midfield. So uh, she can definitely score from anywhere. She's a player to watch. Um, 
Lauren Williams also, uh, she's been working really hard on her skills and her goal kicking. Uh, despite an injury setback, I think that she's going to make a big impact on the offensive side of the football. Now, you do mention, of course, Martin Coventry's name. Martin, of course, uh, is not only the coach of the women's side for the Portland Sockeyes, but also plays for the Portland men's side, the Steelheads, and which happens with some of the women's teams in Division One and Division Two. They have a, a male who's coaching the women's side, but also at the same time they're playing their men's games. And sometimes just how the fixturing works out, both games are going on at once or at least very close to each other on start times. How do you figure that out if Martin is unavailable, if, if, if games do line up at the same time? Yeah, so luckily, uh, you know, I, I talk to him pretty often, being as we live together. Uh, so I've been helping out with the coaching, as has Lucy Parrington. So if there is any overlap that doesn't you know, work out ideally in our favor, Lucy and I are prepared to talk through the lineup, to talk through potential strategies. Sometimes it just means that Marto's running over as soon as he finishes a game and, you know, having a sip of water, grabbing the game board and, and you know, giving us all high fives as we run onto the field. Um, so I think the key is just making sure that we have players on the field who understand the game plan and who are, you know, intelligent enough to make changes if he has to be somewhere else. Um, but he's he's been so committed to growing the women's side now. I. I talked to him, uh, kind of convinced him to start getting involved in women's footy, you know, a couple of years ago, and he has just fallen in love with it. Um, I'll speak for him and say I think it's probably one of the more exciting things that he's done uh, with the USAFL. Let's talk about the Women's Division 1 Pool B, which you're in. It's a very interesting pool. Um, safe to say we, we think the favourites going into this pool is Minnesota, as during the regular season they have not dropped the game, so they've been performing very well. As we know, last year in the semifinals, they got within a kick of beating San Francisco. So they've got some form behind them in the last 12 months. How do you try and uh, match up with a side like Minnesota, who are not afraid to take the game on and, and go down the central corridor? Yeah, so they definitely have some big physical players, um, again, with big boots who are really talented and highly skilled. I think a big part of what we need to do is just identify those threats and make sure that our matchups make sense. Um, so making sure that we're not putting someone who is a rookie and may not be as as experienced reading the play on a, a veteran player who's going to be really good at positioning themselves and, um, you know, getting the ball and getting it off. So the matchups are definitely key in a game like that. I think um, composure and, and just having clean skills and playing the ball obviously goes a long way no matter who you're playing but with a team like minnesota who can really capitalize on mistakes you really want to make sure you're keeping those mistakes to a minimum and the other side in your pool is your old team the new york magpies um many are predicting it possibly will be portland and new york fighting it out for that second spot to move on to the semi-final stage last year was a thriller between the two sides as you played in for formerly then of the magpies are you expecting that same type of battle are you expecting a completely different game considering that um obviously you had a few player changes but uh the, the new york side's actually now got in a number of aussies into their team yeah, I think both teams are going to look quite different from they did last from what they did last year. And uh, I, I mentioned this talking to Brian Barish a bit, but I think New York is actually this might be the year that they're really going to step up. Um, you know, in the past they've had great players. Obviously, they have an amazing coach with Christina Licata, but for some reason it hasn't really clicked in Nationals. Um, I think that they have enough depth this year that this might be the, the year that they really make a good run. So what that means against us, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of unknown players in addition to a few people who you know obviously I've, I know quite well. Uh, so there might be a few adjustments that we need to make after a few minutes on the field to again shut, make sure the matchups are making sense for us and, and try and shut down any big threats that they 
they have. But um, like I said, with Christina at the helm, it's they're they're going to be playing smart. They're going to be playing hard, and I know that they've been training really, really hard to be fit and physical going into nationals. And just quickly, what are your thoughts on what's been dubbed the Group of Death, Pool A, where it's the six-time champions in the Denver Bulldogs, the three-time reigning champions, the San Francisco Iron Maidens, and last year's grand finalists in the Seattle Grizzlies? Yeah, obviously three great teams there. Um, Seattle, I know, is bringing a smaller bench, but as we know, that didn't inhibit them at all last year. Um, every single player that is on the field is is a, a great player and, and a threat. So um, Seattle, even though their numbers are a little bit lower, definitely would not sleep on them. Um, Denver's bringing a team that looks really new. However, those new players are all pretty passionate and they've been training really hard. So I wouldn't be surprised if, again, Denver's going to look very, very different, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, they really step up to that challenge coming in. Uh, on, I never thought I'd see Denver being the underdogs, but coming in as, as um, feeling like underdogs uh, into that pool. And then again, San Francisco, always the team that's, that's setting the bar for the level of footy, but they are not unbeatable. Um, I think if teams can keep their composure and not panic, uh, if they can make smart adjustments um, and kind of match the level of intelligent footy that San Francisco is playing, I think that teams can can beat San Fran. But it's definitely not easy, especially with Katie Klatt on the field. And just on that, um, if you do make it through to the semifinal stage, and let's say Denver are the underdogs and they don't make it through to the semifinals, so it's you with a, a matchup against either Seattle or San Francisco, how important was it that you played them recently in the Cascadia tournament? So you've had a look at both of those sides prior to coming into the Nationals. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. Um, you know, like you mentioned, we played them in Cascadia. We played them in Western Regionals. So we've seen these teams a few times. Obviously, we play Seattle kind of in local tournaments as well. Um, so we know the teams really well. That helps to a point, obviously, um, to know kind of how they play, to anticipate some changes that they might make, anticipate players that are going to be making a big difference. But every game is different. Every every team kind of shows up to Nationals um, in a different way. So it, it is an advantage, I guess, having that recent experience with them. But I, I think that only goes so far. And finally, from your point of view, what needs to go right on the weekend for Portland to be able to take out an upset and take out the Division One title? I think composure. I think... Um, Again, with a lot of new players, if you know you go down early or you get behind a little bit, it can it can be really hard to keep that intensity to get back back up and get even and continue to score, uh, especially with new players who might get a little discouraged. So I think continuing to just make sure that we stay in the game, that we're playing hard no matter what the scoreboard says, and that we're staying healthy and fit um, and really protecting ourselves and protecting our our opponents as well. Um, I think that that's going to be the key. If we can keep those players who play hard, feeling good, feeling strong, I think that that's what's going to be the difference maker for us. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and the Portland Sockeyes all the very best at the USAFL Nationals in Florida. Thanks so much. And finally, joining us on the line here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to get the predictions, to get the inside news behind the US AFL Nationals. We've got the media manager himself from the United States Australian Football League. It's Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Peter. Great to be on here with you again. Great to have you on the line for what is a very interesting tournament for Women's Division 1 and Women's Division 2 this year at the USAFL Nationals. Uh, we actually are going to have grand finals for the first time in both divisions. Yep, uh, we're going to have six teams in both Division One and Division Two. It's the most we've ever had in Division Two. Uh, we've had five teams each of the last two seasons, and uh, 
before that we had three teams and the very first year we did it in 2014 uh, 2015 rather we had four teams it was all round robin for the first time each of the two divisions will have two pools of three teams each playing towards the semifinal and then the grand final so let's begin by having a look at the division everyone's talking about, uh, Women's Division 1. And I look at both pools and I scratch my head going, OK, I can see a favourite in each pool, but I'm not quite sure who gets second spot and who misses out in the semifinals. Let's begin with Pool A, the top-ranked team, the three-time reigning national champions, the San Francisco Iron Maidens. Yeah, and uh, they come in with, I think, a lot more momentum than they had when they won those three national championships. Uh, in each of the past three years, uh, they've had a, a pretty low-key season. They didn't win the regionals in any, any of those three seasons. But heading into this year, if you kind of put aside the two losses that they had at, in Seattle at the Cascadia Cup, where they, had, they were missing some of their uh, better players, they've had a really, really good year and if you look at the national roster they really only have one first year player that hadn't played footy before and that is Sarah Artes everybody else is returning uh, Jess Estrada Finley uh, Brett Brower who is a uh, was now living in Florida, but is coming across Millie Bruce, uh, Robin Leslie, Nicole McKenzie, Elise Gallagher, uh, Sarah Maggione is coming back. So you think about all the players that have been around for years, and then you add in the, the up-and-coming players. Meg Leone, who uh, with Panda Wynn, who's another up-and-comer, now in the ruck. Meg can go just about anywhere on the field. Same with Brett. Savannah Green, who is very fast. We saw her play a big role in the grand final last year. Caitlin Lutz, who can play just about anywhere. Uh, Annika Stolane is another one. And oh, by the way, now they have Katie Klatt. And Katie, I think, is going to be a really interesting story because she's played with Sacramento before going over uh, to make her run in VFLW with Melbourne University. And when she was playing with Sacramento, she was playing on a Sacramento team that uh, really was a lower tier than the San Francisco's and the Denver's at the time they were playing. This is the first time that she's now played on a legitimately good, good side that has a chance to win a premiership. Uh, so when you throw that all together, yeah, they have to be the favorites. But as we uh, as we look, the other five teams, I don't think you can count out by any stretch of the imagination. Let's take a look at the second-ranked team in Pool A. That is the Seattle Grizzlies, who went down to the Iron Maidens in the grand final last year. What's interesting about them coming in is they are shorthanded. They have a limited bench, but they get back a couple of players who'd been in Australia the past few months. That's true. Uh, April Lewis, who was signed by Essendon and VFLW, didn't play any games in VFLW this year, uh, spent most of the time playing for her community club in West Brunswick, did get a call up to the Bombers in the Invitational game against GWS. And Valerie Barber Axdelm, who has moved to Australia with her husband, but getting a uh, some time with Darabin in Division One play. Now, you talk about them being shorthanded. They are up to 19 players uh, now. They did get uh, two players, Chelsea and Lydia Wilkinson, who uh, I don't think have played football before, but at the very least, they'll have a bench. But when we talk about the short bench, that's how they made it that far last year. In fact, if you remember, I think they only had 16 in that semifinal win over Denver, and they only had 15 in the grand final, and they still held San Francisco to only 20 points. But 
if there's a team that can do it with that short of a bench, it is this team. We mentioned Val. We mentioned April. Um, some really, really good defenders here. And uh, you got to talk about Amelia Carr, who I think is on that VFLW level. Latia Holmes, the Fife Fortress, who uh, very athletic, very good out of the back. And then up front, alongside Amanda Bow, you have Ali Alcoser, who we may very well see in red, white, and blue. Katya Hewitt has gotten a lot of touches. And then you've got uh, up front, Stephanie Peterson and uh, Marion Dickinson, who every time that we saw her play last year, Pete, it always seemed like she got 20 touches, uh, 15 or 20 touches in a 40-minute game, no less. So um, Seattle looks really good. They've had a decent season, as we've mentioned. Uh, they did really well at Stumptown. They did really well in Cascadia earlier this year. They didn't get the chocolates for the for the regional, but uh, – they come in with a fair bit of momentum, and I think they'll now that they've had that one run under their belt, uh, they're looking to do, go a little bit further this year. The Denver Lady Bulldogs are the third-ranked team in Pool A, and they round out Pool A, the six-time national champions. And it's very hard to read their form coming in because if we look at the Central Regional Tournament, they had so many numbers, they split themselves into two teams. They didn't send their best team over to New York recently to play in that tournament against the Magpies and Montreal. Um, so they held back on bringing over some of their veterans. They don't have the Castanics anymore. Um it's it's they've got a lot of new players but the question is can they gel fast enough can they get themselves to level fast enough to compete with really seattle to try and get that second spot to get into the semi-final it seems like every year that they've had such turnover they've always seemed to fill in and congeal and and recover from that and that was during those years when they won that six on the trot i think it's going to be much more difficult to do that this year the only two veterans of note well three veterans of note anna thaxton of course who has really come on since taking on a leadership role jess gray who is on the international cup each of the last two go-rounds on the freedom for the last two go-rounds of the international cup and cassie wilkerson who i believe this will be her first appearance at national since uh injuring her knee in the opening game of the Liberty Tour in 2017. Now, they are, they will have a couple of players who are veterans. They'll have a, Ashley Mayberry, an Australian. Their uh, Jen Wilson Humphreys is coming out of retirement for Nationals to make up numbers. And some of the veterans I've seen in this group are pretty good and have picked it up pretty quickly. Uh, two to mention are Tori Galvin, who is uh, one of the best players, one of the best rookies from the Bulldogs in Central Regional and also Andy D'Alfonso, who was born in Spain. What's interesting is also a lot of the of a lot of foreign players that aren't necessarily uh, from Australia. Um, they've got Alexis Koo, who's from Great Britain, Zodo from Vietnam. They have three players who hail from Mexico, including Claudia Gill, who had a really good nationals last year. Um, Going up against Seattle is going to be very difficult, and I think this is a team that's going to take their knocks uh, in this in this particular tournament. However, you never can tell, as, as we've seen in as we've seen in Nationals past, Pete. Uh, but it is going to be a bit of an uphill, considering the fact that uh, Sarah Roner is another player who who isn't there, and of course she pretty much single-handedly dragged them into the semifinals and kept them alive in the semifinals uh, with that run. She, of course, kicked two goals in that in uh, a minute against Minnesota to help them clinch the group. She won't be there. So 
uh, a fairly new group, and they're going to get they're they're going to have a mountain to climb if they want to even just get through to the semis. Let's look across to Pool B and the Minnesota Freeze. Very little's been spoken about the Freeze, but we have to remember they got within a kick of beating San Francisco in that semi-final. In fact, if they had better shots on goal, they probably would have knocked the Iron Maidens out. They used the Central Corridor best than any side in the USAFL. And coming in to this tournament, they've had a limited number of games compared to other sides, but they're undefeated. Yeah, they haven't lost all year. They they ran through the Central Regional like a hot knife through butter. Of course, you can talk about the fact that they played a Texas team that uh, still is very much a Division II side. You can talk about Denver, the two Denver sides. But the fact is, is that it wasn't just the fact that they won big. They won very impressively. The way that they moved the ball through the midfield. Catherine Georgiatis uh, won best on ground in the tournament. She's played extremely well this season. Uh, they'll have Lizzie even to captain out of the back. Uh, Jess Nelson up front playing aside. Kathy Oha. Um, They'll have uh, Pia Richardson, who's stepped up and played really well this year. Uh, and then, of course, you'll have Connor Lewis, in fact. And then Paige Kicker, who anytime she's within five meters of the ball, you have to put a body on her or else she's going to take a defensive mark. And she's not afraid to go forward. What's interesting, Pete, it's, I have to mention the, the fact that it's all nationals where there's some Australians on some of the other teams, in fact, all the other D1 teams have at least, I think, two Australians. These are all Americans, and the fact that they could play at this high a level um, is is amazing. You talk about how close they came last year. Um, if they get into the final against an undermanned or understaffed Seattle team, who knows what happens? They've never finished higher than second. They have a brand new coach in Brent Fisher, who I think has really brought a much different approach. They've the, the girls have responded to it pretty well. If there's any team that I think has a flying shot of catching San Francisco, I wouldn't say they're a dark horse, but I think if there's any other team, I think Minnesota has the best chance of, of usurping the Iron Maidens four in a row run. Continuing the look at Paul B, the second place side in there is the New York Magpies. Their form has been patchy coming into uh, this Nationals. Uh, they've had wins and losses against the DC Eagles and the Columbus Cats in the local Eastern competition, but they've got the wood over the Montreal Angels, defeating them twice. And under strength, Denver came to New York just recently. New York thrashed them in that game. And we know they've got strength in numbers, bringing essentially one and a half sides to the tournament. Yeah, and what's interesting about this, we just talked about a team that didn't have any uh, Australians. The Magpies have eight non-nationals, which is the most that we've ever seen. And all but one are uh, Australian. Actually, they have nine. I just saw they have uh, a young lady from Bangladesh, uh, but she'll be playing on the reserve side. But uh, getting back to the D1 side, Pete, you look at players like Jenny Bowl, who was uh, really good in the regionals last year. Janie Green, who took on best on ground nationals this year. Uh, Aislinn Grieg, who will have one last go around before she heads out to Seattle, uh, for Chicago. Lucy McLeod, who's come on board this year. She's provided speed in the midfield, as well as Jess Taylor. And when you compare that to all of this veteran American talent that they have, Clara goes in up front, who's joined by Amy Arendale coming across from Philadelphia. And then Natalie Wolf in the back playing alongside Taylor Davidson. And the best story, I think, all year 
from this division. How about Drea Casillas, who just gave birth to a son, uh, probably a future Ruse medal winner in about 20 years, uh, but back in July. And uh, watching her on uh, social media, she's really kept in shape the entire time of her pregnancy. Uh, she's really hit the ground running. Uh, by all accounts, She's she really hasn't missed a beat in that last game of the season. So having her back is really going to is really going to to really propel uh, their chances. They haven't finished. They finished second. Uh, they lost in the grand final in 2011. They finished second in the round robin format in 2015. This is my dark horse. I think this this is the best Magpies team that I've that I've seen. Uh, and of course, they have arguably the best coach in Christina Licata uh, to guide them. So the Magpies, it depends on their route. I think if they can win the group, I think they might be able to pluck off uh, see, uh, an under an understaffed Seattle side to get to the grand final, and then from there, who knows? We have a look at the Portland Sockeyes, the third and final team in Pool B. And the Sockeyes, for me, seem to be at a stagnant level. They haven't really improved. They haven't really gone backwards. There's been a change of personnel. Lawrence Kuznetsky comes in. Out goes Heather Serpico to go down to Austin, Texas. Um, it, it's a side that's looking for, in my book, something to happen. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and the thing that I have to remember is that when you do look at this roster, there is talent up and down the track. And they they have, for my money, if, if you were starting a, a brand new side and, uh, you know, an expansion team and you had your pick, you would want someone like Simone Shepard, who is a leader who can play anywhere on the park and who knows the game inside and out. And she is still the, the probably still, for my money, one of the one of the best players in the league, as well as Lucy Parrington, uh, who provides speed, who provides good decision-making in the middle of the ground. Uh, but then you look, as you mentioned, Skinechny, who gives them a, a really good uh, a sniper up front. Uh, Melody Abrook is a really is a rookie to keep their eye on. Uh, she played impressively in the in the regionals. And then you have Olivia Artes who played uh, in Cork in Ireland, uh, who's coming back. She'll be there for the, for the nat for nationals. It's worth mentioning that uh, they won't have Jess Blacker this time around. And I think they'll miss her. Portland, I think is in the same situation that Denver is. I think they're, they're definitely of the three teams in this pool. I think they're behind the eight ball the most, but by the end, by the same token, and they are under understaffed as well by the same token, I I think if they're able to put together two solid performances and can go one and one, I think they'll make it through as well. But uh, that's why we talk about, that's why they play the games and we don't just play it on paper. Absolutely. My predictions for what it's worth, San Francisco and Seattle to go through to the semis and Minnesota and New York to go through to the semis. Let's take a quick look at uh, women's division two. Can you explain us for the moment? Now, as much as the original teams were announced uh, not that long ago in your uh, selection spectacular, um, things are still a bit fluid about the exact combinations. Can you explain what's happening there? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a situation going on where the numbers are changing for uh, really just about all of the clubs as players drop out for whatever reason, for injuries, for personal reasons, financial reasons, and other players who may not have gone to nationals or may not have put their hand up to go to nationals aside that they are in fact doing that. So ideally, because all of these teams are combo sides, or as we colloquially call them, Frank and 
Wolfenstein teams. Uh, the idea is to get them as even as possible, not only in numbers, but also in ability. Now, there are six teams, as we mentioned. They're divided into two groups of three, uh, and each team does each of the combined sides will have one core team, that is one team uh, that is a sign of an anchor, and then all the other teams uh, that are being reassigned and shifted around will move to them. So uh, we'll at the very least be able to preview those six sides. Let's just quickly go through them because we are short for time. We'll begin with the uh, top side, the uh, Texas Heat. Again, they've been trying to grow more players out of Austin and Dallas. The big recruit that's obviously come in for them is Heather Serpico from the Portland Sockeyes. Serpico, from my opinion gives something for them up forward gives them a target gives them an opportunity to convert their midfield pressure into goals because we know they've got Bagley we know they've got Pullman they've always been good at working the ball in the midfield they just haven't been good at racking up a big score the Texas Heat and that could change well, and that's going to be very important because neither one of them will be coming to Nationals this year. So their addition is very important. And uh, she is playing in Austin. She was able to recruit Diana Sosa, who is a roller derby uh, participant there in Austin, who brings, I think, a little bit of physicality into that forward line. When you look at a player like Haley Rebar, who's 6'1", uh, and also I think she she's quick for someone her size. So there is that up front. Now, as much as she brings that to the forward line, the Heat might try to use Serpico defensively alongside Jacqueline Sparling, and they're referring to themselves as Long Island Ice D because they're both on defense and they're both from Long Island. Uh, Crystal Winters will come back into the fold. She's usually in the back line. It'll be interesting to see how they use her. Um, and then they have one player coming over from Dallas as well, uh, an Australian uh, through their Gaelic program, uh, who will also be adding as well in Laura McAuliffe. So we'll see who they get paired with, uh, but uh, the Heat looking to improve off of two straight third-place finishes. The DC Eagles will be the second side in Pool A of uh, Division 2. And we should mention, DC racked up quite a number of wins on the East Coast, particularly against New York. So all of a sudden, that program's been growing and growing compared to one or two years ago when they were the easy beats. Yeah, and I think that if they add, if they're able to get a couple of more uh, players on a consistent basis, Pete, uh, you know, within a year or two, we'll be able to see them in Division One, and and I think they'll come in with a running start. Just looking at some of their players, they have national team level talent: Molly Haberstadt, uh, Kristen Lau, who. Um, really, I think, uh, one of the best defensive players I've seen, one of the best fullbacks. She has a chance of making the national team. Mackenzie Medlin, uh, uh, Miriam Tucker as well. Then they have the... uh, then they have a number of Australians, and I've been really impressed with Alex Clayton in the time that I've seen her play. It'll be interesting to see who they pair up with. Last we heard, uh, they were going to be pairing with Des Moines, led by Emily Rice. So I think the Eagles, they were, they have a, uh, 0-4 last season. They finished in last, I think, the year before that in 2017. And they combined with Columbus to not win a game the year before that. I think that's going to change this year. They're a much better side, and I think they'll only be improved by whoever they get combined with. And the final core team out of uh, Paul A for Division 2 is the Chicago Swans. Again, excellent to see, as we mentioned uh, quite a number of episodes ago, there was fear that the Chicago Swans, when they had their only uh, women's footballer there a couple of years ago, was going going to fold and close down. Instead, the numbers have grown there, and it's great to see that they actually form a core of one of these sites. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think uh, one of the things is is that they do have uh, players who are willing to commit to the recruitment. Rebecca Quinn out of New South Wales is one of them. She's been the one that's been stuck with the team over the last couple of years. But they also have a big pickup from the LA Dragons in Yui Kawakatsu. And I can't say enough really good things about Yui. I think she's one of the fastest players in the league. And it's amazing. It'll be great to see if she ever gets the opportunity to play in Division One and maybe even get a chance to play on the U.S. national team, what she can do. Uh, but they're growing as well. Um, and, of course, they're going to get Aisha and Greg coming over from New York. So hopefully in the next couple of years, they'll be able to field at least a dozen players. And who knows, down the line, they'll be up competing in Division One if they stick with it. And finally, looking through Pool B, uh, we've got the reigning champions, the Sacramento Suns. Yeah, the Suns right now, you know, they've they are bringing a fairly full side. Uh, they're bringing, I believe, 16 players. They've got a lot of national team possibilities or players that have already played for the national team. Liz Danielson, Rosie Klo, who coming back from that knee injury, she's playing amazingly up front. Uh, Aaron Regan as well, who who had a chance to play for the national team. Erica Titusley as well, and a couple of uh, outstanding rookies, including Izzy Greenblatt, who played very well at at, uh, at region. So it'll be interesting to see who the Suns get paired with, but uh, they have good confidence of last year. They know how to win. We'll see how they do this year. The Philadelphia Hawks make up the core of the second side in Pool B. Yeah, they do, and uh, they're expected to be combined with the Arizona Lady Hawks. And uh, in case anyone hasn't heard the news, uh, the Western Bulldogs have released Danny Marshall to play in this tournament. So uh, the fact that the Lady Hawks, the Philly Lady Hawks, get to play alongside Danny Marshall and players like uh, like. Melissa Wilhelm as well uh, to play alongside players who I think we will see in the national team, Lindsay Terse and uh, Erica Saki among them should be a really exciting side to watch. And finally, the Columbus Cats are the third and final team making up Division 2 Pool B. Yeah, a little bit of a down year for Columbus. They didn't win any games this year, uh, but they will have a Sonic Scherer as well as uh, Stephanie Shipley-Snyder. Stephanie McKittrick, who is now has kind of a second career as a forward. Uh, we'll see how they go. Uh, they finished second. It was their highest ever finish last season. So uh, we'll see how they go. and We'll see who they get paired with. And just quickly going through the sides that are looking to be paired up, as we mentioned, the Arizona Hawks will be paired up with the Philadelphia Hawks, but the other sides participating in Division 2 will be the Baltimore Dockers, the Boston Demons, uh, Naflapop and the Wisconsin Wombats, the New York Magpies Reserves, North Star Blue Ox, Des Moines Roosters, Arizona Outlaws, uh, Montreal will be sending some players, so will be the Los Angeles Dragons, but it's great to see some growth coming out of uh, the Atlanta Kookaburra sending players, the Nashville Kangaroos sending players, and more importantly, Tampa Bay back in the competition. Yeah, Tampa Bay will bring uh, Annie and Dion Jones, who uh, were playing for the Freedom at the dawn of that program. Nashville is the team I'm really excited about. You talk about Alexa Roncancio and Natalie Smith, who the more I watch her, the more I think that uh, she could be right behind Danny Marshall in playing an AFLW. And then you look at Los Angeles bringing in a number of players. I'm excited to see young Kelsey Casillas, no relation to Drea, see how she does alongside Eileen Yoon and Lonnie so, yeah, a lot of growth here. And worth mentioning before we go, Pete, 25 women's teams in total. And they're all sending at least one representative to Nationals this year. That is fantastic. And, Brian, where can people watch these games if they want to catch all the streaming online? So we'll have matches on Saturday, uh, October. 
Saturday, October 12th, and Sunday, October 13th on Go Live Sportscast uh, and on ESPN, which right now looks to only be in the USA right now for the finals. The Division One Grand Final for the women will be at 3 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be about 5 a.m. Uh, Monday morning in Melbourne, Australia. Well, Brian, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Personally, I look forward to joining you very shortly in Florida. But from an audience perspective, we look forward to catching up with you in a few weeks' time to find out how it all went down. Thank you so much, Pete. And I thank Brian very much for his time. And thank you to everyone that came onto the show this week. Our Championships edition. Again, if you're interested in following the United States Australian Football League National Championships happening this weekend on the 12th and 13th of October, go to usafl.com. You'll find the National Championships page there. And that'll give you the link to the Go Live Sportcast feed. So you'll be able to watch all the games uh, bar the grand finals, which are being uh, streamed into America exclusively on e. ESPN3. But if you want to catch those regular games, just go to usafl.com, click on the National Championships page and search for Go Live Sportscast Feed. And the AFL European Championships being played in London over the next three to four days. Uh, for more information on that, just go to the AFL Europe Facebook page. This program airs every Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival Digital Radio and then is available as a podcast straight afterwards, usually around about 7.30, 8pm at night by going to SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and now the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio, and you can find us online at wairfradio.com. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. And next week, we've got our AFLW Draft Insights non-Victorian special coming up Wednesday, 6 p.m. Until then, it's bye for now.